Welcome to my good bad brain I'm a normal person so I'm insane I've got depression and ADHD But I'm doing better since I medicated me I'm still not always sure whether I exist Or what being a person even really is But I figured out a long time ago that is beautiful. Hi, welcome back to my good bad brain. Uh, of course, as usual, if you dig it, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash my good bad brain. The, uh, the cash there keeps this thing going. Turns out it takes more work than I thought to make a pod all by yourself. What with music and artwork and all. Um, but it's really rewarding. Every week brings really amazing messages from people all over the world, uh, which, quite frankly, I mean, usually there's some aspect of gratitude from them, which makes me feel nice, but also just seems validating to the whole thing that all of us living out here with our own good-bad brains, you know, we're okay. Like, we're okay in our strangeness and the, the thing inside of us that tells us that we're so fucked up and so irredeemable and so impossible and the only one possibly ever going through this uh you know and should just probably disappear from the the gene pool of evolution uh that is wrong (laughs) and there's a lot of us feeling this way feeling crazy in a world that seems increasingly crazy i think objectively we can say probably the craziest time in history i think the internet really uh makes it extra weird, you know? We just have so much uh, more information getting dumped into our brains every day than we could have ever, ever had, any ancestors could have ever had, you know? And so I think it's like, okay, to pause and go, I'm not the only one feeling crazy. It is crazy. And the people who are acting like it's normal, maybe they're the crazy ones. (laughs) Because, of course, it's important to victimize somebody to feel like you're okay. Just kidding. Get it? That's okay. This week on My Good Bad Brain, I am joined by a dear friend and close collaborator, uh, Zeke Thomas. Zeke Thomas. Zeke Thomas Rodriguez. Zeke Rodriguez Thomas. Zeke Thomas. He, um, I've known Zeke for so long now. We talk about that pretty early in the, I mean, I mean in LA time, like 10 years or so. Zeke has been sober the whole time I've known him. He's been sober for many years. He works the program, uh, AI. And we talk about that on this podcast. So the theme of this podcast is uh, going to be about addiction and isms, alcoholism, uh, you know, the ism, the kind of thing that we... Because what we get into talking about is uh, that it's the ism, not the object the alcohol the drugs the sex the love the work the whatever it's the ism part uh and whatever our compulsion is uh is is the just the object just the symptom just the thing that we use to try to fill another thing we'll talk about in this podcast we call it the god-shaped hole and yes we will talk about the discomfort of around the word god and why we use it anyway and things like that uh in a secular world um, you might, uh, feel turned off by this already. Uh, if you're like, well, I'm not an addict, I'm not an alcoholic. Well, how does this apply to me? 
And I will tell you, I've spent some time in Al-Anon. I've spent some, a lot of time in therapy of different kinds or whatever. I've been uh, close to 12-step people throughout my life. And uh, I am in a phase of uh, sobriety. I've drank one time this year for a particularly celebratory event that felt like an appropriate ritual. I did not miss it, I found. Uh, but I wouldn't call myself sober at all. I, I smoke weed still. But I do very much relate to the ism, to the whole, the thing that needs to be filled with something, something mindless, sensory, uh, enjoyable for that moment, but ultimately probably self-destructive, escapist, some answer, some meaning, some thing that I need to uh, do. And I think it's connected to ADD feelings too. And I honor that. And I'm always trying to navigate which part is which. But there, the toxic shame that uh, some of us are born with, some of us who feel very little worth of any kind, uh, just inherently, for no other reason than existing, that we seem to exist and be. It's interesting because I think most of us who are healthy, we probably go out around the world trying to communicate to other humans their worth just for living. Um, just, you know, that, that just by breathing and being here, you have value and deserve respect and love. And the irony of that is how many of us walk around and can't do that with ourselves and feel quite the opposite. Just living and being here, walking around, we are the opposite. We don't deserve love. We don't deserve anything that we should be gone. We should just do everything we can to earn any ounce of as if, as if worth was something you had to earn, you know, uh, or just disappear. And that's where that self-destruction, self-immolation instinct comes from, I think. So talking to Zeke over the years and having him in my life, he's been a really positive presence. And um, having him to talk to about his experiences and his knowledge of uh, addiction has been really wonderful. He's a very creative person. He's, I met him doing MMA, and that means that he's sort of this perfect mix for me. We match on the sort of bro-y, jockey understanding of the world and also having this creative impulse and also having this spiritual sickness that we feel we ha have to work to, to heal these wounds. And so we've been uh, brothery a long time. He's a really beautiful person and uh, one of the best people in my life. This week's uh, practical advice for mental health and wellness comes from him uh, very recently. Something we don't talk about in this podcast, but I talk to him personally. Uh, we do check-ins and meetings and writing. He's my writing partner on a lot of projects right now. Um, halt. <laughs> he says, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And this may sound so funny, but I'm telling you, most of the practical advice I have is going to sound like the kind of thing that you'd uh, use for a child because a lot of us uh, <laughs> maybe are spiritually, mentally children in some ways. And because these things that we act like we've outgrown by being an adult, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, uh, amazingly still completely dictate who we are, how we are, how we feel. So the next time you're being extra shitty maybe or irritable or, or sensitive or anything that feels a little off kilter or, you know, feeling that uselessness, whatever, whatever the thing might be. It happens for me a lot in arguments with somebody I'm close to that I love or something like that. Uh, they say, halt. Are you hungry? Well, I guess I haven't eaten all day. That, yeah. Are you angry? Yeah. 
yeah, this other thing bothered me, this other thing bothered me, and, you know, frankly, like, the constant inundation of terrible news from the world. I'm angry. Yeah, I'm angry. Are you lonely? Well, now you're just really, like, being a little bit too precise. I get it. No, I understand what you're trying. Are you tired? Yeah, I sleep poorly. And I don't, I haven't been exercising to treat my energy systems right. And the, so the sleep I've been getting is bad because I shoot blue light into my eyeballs from my phone until I say, yeah, I'm tired too, okay? Yes, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, and I'm tired. Well, the Zeke's, uh, the Zeke's advice would say, uh, then your decision making is a little compromised. Your perspectives on life are a little compromised. And I was thinking about uh, the same, that thing I cite a lot. The bacteria in your gut makes your serotonin for the most part, you know? And that's the stuff that decides if I think I'm a happy person or a sad one. But that's not me. That's the things in my gut. But isn't that still me then? Or inflammation. If I have an inflammation in my brain, that's making me feel like a certain way. They would say, well, that's a physical problem, not a mental problem. But it seems to be affecting me mentally. So we already know that all of these silly, common physical symptoms have a lot to do (laughs) with whether or not we walk through the world as the best version of ourselves. So you got to take care of that dumb bod, that dumb meat mech, that dumb beautiful bod that you move around in because it's the only thing you got ferrying your brain. And when it needs things, it's going to make you a little bit shittier (laughs) until you deal with them, you know? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So next time you're being an asshole to yourself or anybody else or just receiving something poorly or whatever... Because even that, I think being an asshole to yourself can sometimes be like getting some tough news and then making it worse by your own reaction, you know? Grab that and go, well, halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, let's check in. And if none of those things are are clicked off, you're like, you know what, no, I have on my self-care, I'm good. And you're honest with yourself, then, you know, then look at your reactions. You know, you're probably making better decisions anyway and you won't have needed the halt in the first place. But anyway, that'll be the practical advice for this week. Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Check in. Simple things. From where are you acting? From what perspective? You know? What's really making these decisions for you? If you don't have basic needs being met, well, there you go. It's not an excuse. It's not an excuse to cross other people's boundaries and mess with other people and make their days worse. It's not an excuse, but maybe a reason. And you can look at that reason and try to fix it. And also just have some, you know, fucking self-responsibility. Don't be an asshole to people. (laughs) You can avoid it. Is this personal? Does this feel like it's me talking about things that I have been doing? Whatever. Trying to be a better person. All the time. I don't know. As usual, man. Putting these things together. The outside world, it's hard to not have it uh, melt in. And there's some really rough news this week. But it's every week, isn't it? All right, lots of love to all of you. Thank you again so much for participating in this uh, little experiment, this pod. The response has been wonderful. It's just really beautiful to hear voices out there that um, y'all got brains and spirits like mine, and none of us are alone. And that means so much, you know? Like Elliot's thing, you know? I think he is. <clears throat> Said came from Ramdas. We're just here to walk each other home. So thank you for walking with me. Uh, Alright, let's get into it. Me and my good, good friend, my brother, I love him, Zeke Thomas. I'm a good baby. Yeah. And that for many years thereafter. And you know, we continue to write together, produce yeah. things. 
blah, 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 blah. But I will say this then too, Zeke uh, is a very enormous force for good in my life. If I get real, uh, get real, real, real quick that like, um, well, can I, can I divulge things about you? Yeah, yeah, please. Absolutely. So you're sober. Yes. For how long? 15 years. 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, I was not for a long time. Zeke never shamed me for uh, my pretty obvious compulsions and, and escapist <laughs> sort of tendencies and uh, aggressively bad behavior that I would romanticize. Never. Actually, you never shame me for it. You never made me feel bad. I think you... And in caring ways, I think you would talk to me about it sometimes. Not in like a, hey, what's going on? But just in a kind of like, you'd laugh with me about it, but yeah. not really like, not really, um, you never like, I don't, what I'm trying to say is I never felt like you were just callously allowing me to destroy my life. I felt like you, no. I feel like a thing that happens with sobriety and and you tell me uh, what you think about this. Uh, to me, and I've done some time in Al-Anon, which is a, also a 12-step program. Um for family members uh, or, or acquaintances or basically you're, they call it a qualifier. If you have a, almost everybody in LA has a qualifier in their life, <laughs> yeah. which is if you have an addict somewhere in your life and they can be in or uh, usually not in treatment or something like that. Right. But the idea is that if you're around addiction and now we're getting into the stuff that I really wanted to talk about in sure. this podcast with you, yeah. uh, this being mental health and whatnot um, about addiction uh, sobriety and what we call, I believe you coined the phrase. Well, I coined, I, I may have coined it to you, but like, you know, uh, over the course of this podcast, you're going to hear me talk about a lot of stuff that's like, you know, super programmy, uh, you know, but also like, there's so many cliches that I've sort of learned over the years and picked up from other people that I can't say it's mine, but you know, I've just stolen from everybody who's come before me. Yeah. So it's like the only part that I can really sort of own is sort of my own story. Yeah. But like all the other stuff is found knowledge from other people. Yeah. Well, you would talk about that God shaped hole. Yeah. That, the like, God shaped hole. The God shaped <laughs> hole, which I really love. And I think about that all the time. And what you just said about like that you can't own, you can only own your story, mm. I think is how I would describe my feeling around you in all the, the years you've known me. Cause you know, me through some pretty dark times, sure. times that I was definitely abusing uh, I would say self-medicating. I would I would say I'm abusing myself in general. Sure. My drinking and drug use habits, I think, at times have gotten out of hand. I will say not in a 12-step in a program way, but I did make the choice to stop drinking so far this year. It's been three or so months. Uh, I feel fucking fantastic. Yeah. But I just realized I, I was casually drinking every day, drinking a lot every day. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I, I had my rituals around drinking that I really loved. I loved like to pour some whiskey or scotch and and then go, I'm going to go right now and and would realize near the end of the evening, I'd, I'd have some writing done, but I'd have a lot of drinking done. There'd be a anywhere from a quarter to half to three quarters of a bottle gone and I wouldn't even really feel drunk. And I was like, damn, I'm fucking going hard a lot yeah. of days of the week. Uh, and, and was that writing very good? Either? Sometimes like, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes yeah. it was pretty good. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, sometimes I didn't have a lot of luck with that. Yeah. Like also I was a shitty writer and you know, back then, but like alcohol is a funny thing. Uh, what, what it does, you know, mm -hmm. I mean like I don't, I'm going to get woo woo as I fucking generally do. I think that alcohol is not accidentally called spirits. Mm -hmm. I think like a weird thing happens that whether it's just 
you lowering your inhibitions and allowing yourself to take on another personality or the way I kind of interpret it is that sometimes it opens gateways and lets other things come into your body and take you for a ride. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think I got to I got to have some conversations with some some personal demons a lot, and uh, a lot of the conversations didn't happen until much later. At first, it was just allowing them to like hang out and do whatever they wanted let's, with let's me. Do some stuff, man. yeah, having some fun, man. We had some really good times uh, that usually resulted in some serious consequences. And and when I say uh, I like to say I survived my twenties, mm-hmm. and I genuinely feel that way. When I look back on some of the ways I would drink and then ride my fucking motorcycle around, you're like, I'm really lucky I didn't die a lot of times. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, we used to. <laughs> I think you knew that I used to call you like uh, the big investment and like I did not know that. Oh yeah yeah. Well cuz it was just like you were my creative partner and like I was you would do all these incredibly dangerous activities slash things and I'm like sure up Jared doesn't die like Oof. just because like you know we'd kind of pinned our careers to one another sure and we're just like all right well uh you know good luck riding across town on your moped or whatever the yeah, fuck I mean, you were well, riding. Yeah I was on a Vespa for several years and then I honestly think uh it sort of evens out whether it was more or less safe when i moved up to a bigger bike because definitely <laughs> i uh i could contend with big cars better but also i could go, go faster, faster. <laughs> i could go faster faster yeah um yeah i don't know it was man there's, there's a lot of weird uh times which i don't know maybe we'll get in some of them but but i you know more pertinent to this this idea of when you say you can only own your experience that's something I have experienced with you where what do you get out of shaming me? And 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 there was never – and that, that's the wrong thing to say, I think. What I feel from you is like that I feel like I've learned from you to a certain degree and I try to employ is like not in you teaching me, just in the way you are, yeah, which yeah. I think the way – there's this thing, heal people, heal people, hurt people, hurt people. I think if you've worked on yourself, you cannot help but be sort of an educator to the people who have not sure. uh, if they're open to it. That – uh, hey, me getting better or not wasn't your business. Wasn't not your business. Wasn't your wasn't you. Wasn't part of you. Right. Like you, it was very clear and not in a discompassionate way. You have more empathy than anybody I've met, or as much at the very least. Like you're sure. very empathetic. You're very present. You're a very caring, loving person. You do it with your actions all the time. But there's also not a part of you that says, "Hey, your problems are mine." It's very clear. Your problems are your problems, and my problems are my problems. I can be here for you, but your lack of, uh, ironically, investment, I guess. Your, <laughs> see, it's not investment, it's no, boundaries, no, no, yeah, yeah. right? Well, it's, no, what it is, it's healthy boundaries. Like we, And, you know, this is something we talk about all the time, too, where it's just like, you know, something that I learned in the, in the program that I was definitely not born with and didn't have it growing up were, were healthy boundaries surrounding, like, problems, addiction, what's your problem versus my problem, you know, and as far as my emotional reaction to you know, whatever's going on in my life. And like only over time have I gotten my, my fucking black belt in like in healthy boundaries, just because it, it helps me cope on a daily basis. Cause like, you know, in the jobs that we do, you deal with a lot of crazy people, mm-hmm. you know, who are all have, are going through their own journeys. And especially the ones you care about too, you know, it's tough not to get enmeshed or like start mm-hmm. co-signing people's bullshit as far as like what's going on. What does that mean? Co-signing people's bullshit. Essentially telling somebody if somebody is is uh, exhibiting behavior and this sounds like so therapeutic, 
Um, that's what this, that's what we're here for. This yeah, is, yeah. It, no, no, it's it's like if someone's exhibiting a behavior that like is detrimental to them or to me or a relationship, um, I can't, I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't enable them in any way. Right. And that's See, that's that's, that's, that's a big that part fine of it. line that I find interesting because I never felt like you were enabling me, but. In a weird way, if you had been judgy or shamey or like intervening on some level with the behavior I was exhibiting, I om- I almost feel like that would have been more co-signing my bullshit. Like like you would have been engaging with my drama, which would have right. made me happy. Right. And I know that about you that I mean, like, right. at least, you know, our, our journey together, like there's a there's a part of you that it like loves the dramatic. Yeah. Like that. I should I should clarify. Make me happy. Like what is happiness when you're when you have toxic shame in the middle of you and you're you are codependent which i i have those things and i've struggled with them and i think i do i don't know what you i i i have something inside me very akin to addiction and i don't i bomb it with different things but whatever that hole is that god-shaped hole it's something i'm very familiar with even if it never embodied as specifically alcoholism or something Yeah, yeah right I have it though, and I use a lot of different things for it. For a while, I thought maybe it was a sex and love addiction thing, because uh, when you read those twelve step things on the wall and you realize all the twelve steps are the same, you start going like, "That's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me." Yeah, listen, and that's something too I struggle with too. It's just like, you know, I, I came in to an anonymous twelve step fellowship by way of alcohol and drugs, hmm. but that's not to say that all the other vices of life have not tried to find their way in. Yeah. You know, and it's something I talk about pretty regularly when I, when I share my experience with people where I was just like, you know, uh, I didn't want to drink or use ever again after probably the first year. Mm-hmm. But after that, the disease of alcoholism was trying to find its way into me through any means necessary. Yeah. And it was like food, sex, fucking video games. Yep. Like, Hell yeah. It's it's weird, but like, you know, it was trying to, what's, where was the chink in the armor that was going to get me to start worrying about things and allow drugs and alcohol to to come back into my, to my life? Right. Because, okay. And that's changed by the way, over time too, because like what was like sort of like triggering for me early on in sobriety is sort of like an afterthought. Meanwhile, like shit that set me off, you know, a couple, uh, a couple years ago, um, is uh is stuff that I'm just like oh I haven't dealt with everything I'm not yeah. fucking perfect you know I'm not yeah. I'm not twelve steps ahead of everybody I'm twelve steps behind mm. and and so I have to work a program just to try to do my best impression of a normal human being Dude, so like that's I, a really that's what you just said is like that's a very real feeling of life best impression of a human being I I try I I for the most part I feel like I do a pretty good job of it but if I'm not working a program if I'm not still going to meetings and still checking in with my sponsor and doing all the things that I've been taught to do and, and obviously trying to send the elevator back down to, to other people, then I find myself uh, like getting crispy, becoming a dry, like what's called like a dry drunk. Uh. Um, well, where- talk about what is that? What's that? Because that's a thing I feel I've seen uh, that I've experienced. I mean, one thing I think in my understanding and my experiences with addicts that I've been really close to in my life. Yeah. Um, and you've been close to a bunch, a bunch. I mean, I, I, I'm not I, speaking no, no, out of school. Yeah? No, okay. not at all. Not yeah. at all. I'm pretty open about it. Like, yeah. um, definitely have plenty of qualifiers. My biggest one is, uh, my dad. Sure. I, I feel comfortable saying and what he's gone through. And, um, yeah, I, I, uh, one thing I don't know that a lot of lay people understand. And even some people who are close to, uh, addicts and even some people who are addicts, 
I don't think understand, even addicts in the program that I've, I feel like exist that like when we say alcoholism, everybody thinks about the alcohol. If you just stop drinking the alcohol, then yeah. that'll be it. And if, and you know, it'll make you better probably. But if you just do that, yeah, yeah, start like there, there. some good stuff will happen if you stop consuming alcohol. Right. But if you have real honest to God alcoholism, that's when the problems start. <laughs> like, that, Yeah. Why? Know. What do you mean? So in my experience, uh, you know, I, I've sort of explained it like like it's the unsedated asshole. Like Ugh. when I was an out when when I was actively drinking and using, there was something to separate me from my feelings, mm-hmm. whether, you know, it was, uh, you know, and I speak sort of generally about drugs and alcohol. Like I should also mention too, and I, I think you know this about me, but like I used to be a pharmacy manager and a pharmacy, pharmacy yeah, technician way back in the day. And, uh, I was doing all sorts of narcotics, you know, before it was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember uh, you telling me that I was like, damn, that is, that is illustrative of my friend Zeke. That is, uh, that it sounds <laughs> right. And also, I don't know, it just makes the, it makes me understand more of the, the thing, right? You're very smart. You're very capable, and that pretending to be human thing. I was like, oh, and he he would get a job as a pharmacist so he could have access to. Oh, that's very smart. Yes, I believe that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very resourceful and very responsible that way. Right. Like, I think that's a funny kind of thing about the idea of addiction too. Is like, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't separate you from your intelligence. And actually, being brilliant is sometimes worse i know that with my dad because because the addiction the the, which to me feels like a bit of an entity of its own a bit Mm -hmm. of a demon demon sort of its own metaphorically we're not gonna get into like that is a fucking demon but kind of think that sometimes that but that that entity of addiction would get to use all of his horsepower all of his intelligence and all of your intelligence to explain itself away and tell you how he was going to manage it and how he had it under control and all that fucking shit wow is like, sounds like you've been around it <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i mean so that tracks for me like you are you are the you are honest and uh and responsible in a way that i i have never been and especially around like uh, when we produce things you produce them you're like very good at that yeah and so it's funny to think uh you know in a dark way i guess but it's funny to think that you would have this thing and even with that thing you'd be like well how can this thing this thing is like oh how can i use zeke's uh respectable sort of intelligence and ability to organize and manage things to get fucked up more you know yeah no i mean and and you know, we've we've joked about it, but be, you know, I would be very good at multi-level marketing and, can, uh-huh. you know, or starting a cult or things like that where it's like, you know, hey, I can use all this horsepower up here for evil things. Yeah, you can read people, you can sense people, you can, I feel like when you have that in you, you can, I don't know, I feel like this is my experience. I feel like in my most broken phases, you can smell that brokenness in other people and 100%. you can relate to it and get in there in ways that is fucking gross sometimes. yeah no it's 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 terrible and i'm really lucky that like i got sober and have been trying to contribute towards the stream of life as opposed to like you know being a taker because i mean mm. so much of like you know before i got sober i was very much a taker i was like i was a sponge i uh um i don't know i tried to use people and i was definitely super dishonest because i was just trying to find a way to like sort of make myself look and feel more important. That's we the and, dishonesty thing that you just said. There's um, what's the comedian John uh, 
He's funny. He's uh, John Mulaney. <laughs> okay. Who's a comedian? He's funny. Hey, that's a funny guy. I guess John Mulaney. I heard him on a Mark Maron podcast, I think, like in an interview, and he said this thing that I, I really like stuck with me. I thought it was really interesting because he's sober, I guess, or he was talking. I think they're both sober. Or they talk about it on the on their podcast, and mm-hmm. he was saying the hardest thing about being sober is um, not lying. And that, like, he misses dishonesty, like, because it just makes things easier. And is he joking? He's being sure. comic about it. But I think that part, because what part of the thing I think I wanted to communicate with this conversation and clarify was that uh, my understanding that it's not the alcohol, it's this other thing that is the alcoholism, that is the holism, the ad- addiction. The ism, yeah. The, the yeah. ism, that's just the object of your... Um, balming your self-hate or outward hate or whatever. I think it's self-hate that sometimes, like sometimes the when you use, I mean, this is my experience with intoxicants, but I think the the intoxicants would allow me to sometimes, often avoid them and sometimes um, avoid them in a way by ex, by allowing myself the freedom and excuse to express them. So mm-hmm. if I hate myself, if I'm full of a kind of anger and a kind of hunger and a kind of like misery that like if I got drunk and fucked up enough, then I was allowed to be angry mm-hmm. and miserable yep. and put it on other people. Yep. And in that way like I could not could sort of avoid it by bombing it but also get it out. Just just vent some of it out. And that like even if I stopped, like like now, you know, as I started limiting compulsive behaviors this year, as I sort of was getting really honest with myself related to my own mental problems um, and, and having those medicated and stabilized a little bit over the last uh, half year or so and it being pretty life-changing, I, uh, I was like, as soon as I started limiting my compulsions, taking drinking out, cutting back on weed immensely, um, looking at even how I was video gaming uh, sometimes and going like, Fuck, fuck, fuck. There goes another. Now I have to feel my problems. Yeah. And that sucks. It's hard. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, but this now. is this is like the the unsedated asshole thing that that I was I was talking about. So it was just like, you know, uh I I was trying to separate myself from my feelings and I had uh drugs and alcohol to 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 not have to feel those things. And then once I took drinking and drugs out of the equation, I had nothing to separate me from my own feelings, mm. which is super fucked up. Yeah. Like I didn't have my medicine. So I was just this like raw nerve of emotion, like sort of ping ponging my way through life. And it was just like, you know, those first couple weeks of, of sobriety were fucking terrible. Yeah. Like, you know, think about having the flu and then like keep going. Yeah. Cause I was just on so much shit. Mm. Um, yeah, I was on like, Obviously, OxyContin and Adderall and what else was I doing? I was doing a ton of muscle relaxants. Really? And yeah, like, and P.S. Don't do muscle relaxants and OxyContin. Like, that will stop your heart, apparently. (laughs) Glad that didn't happen. um, We drinking too? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I talk a lot about pharmaceuticals, but like, it started and ended with alcohol the entire time. And like, I smoked pot for 10 years straight. Um, And... uh, and yeah. it was just like a super bad combination where I had like OD'd a couple times and like it was just not a not a pretty scene. What does that manifest as? Because I mean, when I think of OD, I feel like just movies and people. Yeah, I mean, I, my dad's OD'd too, but like, and I so that gave me a little more perspective on like, ho- it was a hospital visit. Sometimes it's not die. even a hospital visit where it's just like, hey, I'm doing this thing. I blow a couple lines of OxyContin and I already have some muscle relaxants in my system, and then next thing you know, like 
you wake up and there's fucking vomit on the floor and you're just like, what happened to the last 10 to 14 hours of my life? Ugh. And that's fucking scary fuck, as fuck. Scary. Yeah, that's fucking scary. But it becomes like a semi-regular occurrence if mm. like you're in the throes of addiction and it's just like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, yeah. what what's my solution? And for me, my best solution was just to continue to like try and find that perfect wave of like, how many narcotics should I do versus how much Adderall should I do to like try and like, Bounce again, try to do my best impression of a normal human being. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ooh. I'm just all over the place and like trying to remember what I told you versus what I told my boss versus what, like trying to keep my story straight. Yeah. And that like in hindsight, talking about like honesty is just spinning all those plates was just so emotionally taxing uh, trying to remember what I told each person and like all that bullshit yeah. versus now when I'm just sort of like more often than not, if I'm talking to you, I'm probably telling the truth. Mm. And if I'm not, I feel it like it's uncomfortable for me to stretch the truth these, these days. Right. And I kind of like, I kind of wish I, it wasn't like, I would love to tell like a better story, you know, yeah. and bend the truth a little bit, but I know like it starts eating in the back of my head. It's like, Oh really Zeke? That's not really the truth. Like, yeah. Well, you know, what is that? Why, what do you think that is? Like, does that, that implies to me that a little bit of lying seems like indicative of something that can get away from you or like, what is it about it? That's uncomfortable now that it wasn't before. I think what it, what it's come away, like sort of where I am today is like, for me, it leads to more at the risk of sort of classifying it as addict behavior, addict Mm -hmm. behavior, like in, in, in 12 step programs, they talk about like, it's common to say like, Oh, you know, I was a liar, cheating a thief when I was drinking and drugging. And that was definitely my experience. And if I'm lying, then there's a good chance it kind of opens the door a little bit for, for the ism for me, where it's like, well, we can cheat a little bit then like, you know, and I can sort of be dishonest here. And it just sort of like opens up some unhealthy thinking for me where it's like, well, that wasn't so bad. What else is not so bad? Like, where else can we sort of like start controlling, managing and directing your life a little bit and getting exactly what you want out of people, places and things? This is a this is like broad, like slightly off topic. Not 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 off topic at all, but just not necessarily specific to addiction. But like, do you think. I think there's a lot, there's like kind of two kinds of people in this world. People mm-hmm. who think that we only do good things under threat of bad things happening to us if we don't. Rules, laws, like getting in trouble, and that's why you don't do bad things because you'll get hurt for it. Sure. Or karma, like it'll come around or something like that. Some yeah. sense of like, I'll be punished if I do something bad to somebody else and that's why I don't do it. And then I tend to feel that, that hurting other people hurts. Like like when you're a child on the playground, I think most children do this where they they go through, they experiment with cruelty. They yeah. do something mean someday and they see it hurt somebody else. And a lot of them go, that, oh, I just hurt somebody and Dude. I don't like how that feels. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's real? That there's something that we, are, do you think there's two kinds of people or do you think that, and, I mean, I guess I'll say what I think as I'm saying this. I think, I, I think that, Anybody who's truly in touch with their feelings, and I think a lot of people aren't. I think a lot of people even right a, a few days out of the womb, maybe, like, start already getting these layers on them where they start, like, can't feel their feelings because they have to protect themselves for some reason. But I think anybody who can really feel their feelings and be honest with themselves, if they hurt someone else, it hurts them. Sure. And that, like, people like 
at the top of the heap who are just awful, toxic people like like Donald fucking Trump, like this old man who like says all this crazy. I I would argue is in immense pain that he can't feel, won't ever feel. Like nobody acts like that if they're not terrified and angry and wounded. Sure, you know. I mean, I I think that you're what you're. Because my talking question is, about is is uh, a lack of empathy, and well, it's like are yeah. people is that possible? Like, is even like even in in our natural state, is that possible? And and then with the empathy, my question is like when you. It sounds to me, in my experience of you, seems like your inability to be dishonest now, or rather your feeling in, inherently immediately like it hurts when I lie, Yeah, is because maybe you're not doing your best impression of a human anymore. Maybe you're actually being a human. Maybe you're actually in touch with the part of you that's human. It's It's possible. I mean, it's hard to say because like... You know, I've spent so much time in working on myself to some degree where it's like it's it's a process. It's like it's a it's a perishable skill like anything else we do. It's like martial arts. It's like jujitsu. It's like anything else. You step away from it for a while. Like, let's say you were a purple belt right now. Step away for like six to nine months. You still a purple belt right. when you come back? I don't know. Yeah. Probably not. Right. You know, because you forget a lot of stuff. And like for me, I, I look I, at I do it. think, I will say, I do think off that metaphor, I do think it's possible that there are foundational shifts that can happen that like you'll never, like you too, like we'll never return to a state of complete lack of training. Sure. You no, know? I'm, I'm going to be like, God forbid I'm able to, I'm going to be training for the rest of my life. And but I, even if you stopped training, never did again, there'd be aspects of you that would remain dangerous because of knowledge that's in your bones now for the rest sure. of your life. And the, the, the thing to me, I guess that the correlate would be with what we're talking about self, self-improvement or, or working on yourself. I do believe you can hit new plateaus that become like your new ground. Oh, dude, I, I hit a plateau about seven years ago that my sponsor likes to remind me of where I uh, he's like, hey, do you remember that time when you uh, were punching windshields in the Whole Foods parking lot? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And that's because like my program and like I had plateaued as a person like I wasn't this is probably around like 2010, 2011. And I was just like. I thought I was smarter than the average bear. Sure. And like my ego had started rebuilding well, itself. We, well, well and I do want you to get into that, but just, yeah, yeah. just because I don't want to lose this, this sure. one thing. When I mean new plateaus, because that to me is like, that's a little bit of a backslide thing and you can okay. flatten out. Yeah, but yeah. that I'm saying like, if you work on yourself and improve yourself, get honest with yourself, that you can kind of level up and that's your new floor. That's what oh, I'm saying. Oh, okay. I see like, what you're saying. This is your new floor that like, there are aspects of you that, I don't know. Do you think I, I mean, maybe I'm giving you too much credit. Maybe I'm giving people too much credit, but like, even if you just went off the fucking rails and became like drinking again or something like that, like, like maybe there's some aspects of decency and humanity and empathy that you've cultivated now that you could never get rid of again. Sure. Uh, I will say that I probably have to disagree only because like having known, like not only myself and my experience, but having been around like, drug addicts and alcoholics who like return to drinking. Mm. Um, and also my experience, like when I am like, and, and, and you've heard me talk about this before, but it's like when I am drinking and using my primary objective in life is to get fucked up, mm-hmm. is to separate myself from the, my feelings mm. by any means necessary and everything else like becomes secondary. So food, sex and shelter I don't give a shit about any of that. Mm. I'm willing to sacrifice all of that just to get fucked up. And so I, I would put decency and like empathy and all that stuff is in that secondary or tertiary pile because what matters to me and most drug addicts and alcoholics when they are 
you know, and again, I don't like the word fiending, but like when they're just like, I have to get fucked up, they don't give a fuck about another person. Like their empathy is not even enters the equation. Morality is not a problem. It's not a moral problem. And that actually, I guess, enters into people who, in, in if people out there want to understand this idea of addiction more, and and maybe if it resonates with anybody listening, that like it's that's the heart of it is that. I will do anything to not feel what's really going on inside of me. Yeah. And that that is the, that is the source of compulsive behavior. And that like, if you want to heal the compulsive behavior, by all means, stop the compulsions and work on that. Like, because they're probably damaging you or other people, but that the, but that's not just that the real work of it is figuring out why you're so afraid of your feelings and figuring those out. Sure. I, I mean, a, a big part of it, too, is like and, and when we when we talk about the God shaped hole is like, you know, the whole idea of of addiction being like a moral problem is so like flawed in my experience and what I've oh. sort of seen after being in the recovery community as long as I have. And that's not saying 12 step programs are perfect, you know. It, there's there's a well, lot one of, of the things I will say that I've always really admired about the 12 step thing is is I've never met any buddy I've seen people care and say like to their friend maybe like hey do you want to come to a meeting or try this out but if they say nah not for me they don't they don't push nobody I've ever met who's really working 12 up like pushes people and it's like you really should do this you really should do this you really should do this it's like the the thing I admire about 12 step uh is like other like there's cults and things that exist that like they're we're gonna fucking fix you come in and and you get some <laughs> money actually if you get your friend to sign up too and it's gonna be great for you and it might actually help some people but it's gross and weird and creepy and predatory 12 step stuff truly exists in my as a thing that's there and yeah. if you want to go you can go and if you don't okay whatever you're doing you're doing yeah no if i see somebody with a with a problem i'm always kind of like hey man let me know if you ever want to go to a meeting if not no hard feelings keep doing you like yeah um, but anyway, can you, what you were saying in your time, uh, that it's, it's not a moral failing. No, 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 no. It's not that at all. I mean, it's just like literally addiction, like hijacks your brain chemistry and it's just like, Hey, uh, you're going to do whatever it takes. And I mean, whatever it takes when you hear people being like, Oh, I suck dick for Coke and stuff like that. I'm not even gay. It's like, n- yeah, because they needed to get high. Like it's not, it's, it's like, uh, your brain short circuits and it's just like, Nothing else matters. I just need to to get high or drunk or do whatever. And I'm sorry, but everyone else, you are going to be in my wake. Um, you know, and, and for me, I was just a tornado through like my family's life and my friend's life. And it was just like only only after I got sober and started working a program and started to heal a little bit. Uh, was was I able to sort of earn the trust back of my friends and people who were who were close to me? Oof. Yeah, that's interesting because you just gave me these visions too of like reflecting on my own experience, I suppose. And it's so easy to romanticize the tornado. Oh, sure. And, I, and it's funny because my dad used to like romanticize aspects of his dark existence of with these shady characters. Like, I got a call from him in the middle of the night one time when I was in high school and just said, hey, uh, hey, hey, Bear, uh, hey, just remember this name, okay? And he said the name. I can't remember the name, so it doesn't matter. And I was just so in shock that I was like, what? And he goes, just, you know, if, so, if something happens, just just remember this name. And I was like, what are you talking what about? Do you Clearly mean? upset. And he's like, and he's like, uh, uh, you know what, hey, you know, buddy bear, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't value this. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay, all right, I love you, I love you, buddy, I love you. And hangs the phone, and I'm just like, 
what the fuck? What just happened? And that <laughs> shit would happen all the time. Yeah. This like fantasy existence that he would try to project this romantic idea of himself as this like noir fiction fantasy version, badass version of himself. And, yeah. and he knew all these shady characters. He was involved with kind of aspects of crime. And he was a fucking criminal. I mean, he did like get disbarred for, for doing criminal shit or whatever. Um, but that romanticizing, I res- I resented it so much. I fucking hate it. I still like think he does it so much to, sometimes. Like I'm gonna handle this this anti hero kind of thing. And the irony of it, of course, is that I did exactly the same thing. Like when I was in my 20s and stuff, I was like, no nah, man, I'm fucking like this wolf, dude. I've talked about the wolf on here. I still talk <laughs> about him. Like I, you know, there's aspects of the wolf that are a protector embodiment of me that I believe I'm in, I'm in conversation with as like just my body and its impulses to protect me that are sometimes misguided. But there's also this embodiment of this creature that I felt like that's me, dude. I'm a fucking cool guy. I'm, I'm fucking wear this leather jacket on this motorcycle and I can't be tied down and oh fucking, Oh yeah. And I'm romantic and sexy and cool. And, <laughs> and I just fucking get fucked up all the time. And that was like so easy to romanticize because there's all these like examples of that guy, mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, he'll fuck anything and you got to watch out for him and he's kind of sexy, but he's dangerous. And I felt like I was trying to live that life and really I wasn't like that at all. I mean, I was just like a mess. I was just like this goofy fucking mess. I will say, I think that there are so many people out there who buy into the romance romance uh, of these kind of things, especially in your 20s when you're all fucking maniacs, yeah. that like sometimes it does negative or positively reinforce itself where you're like, hey, you can tell me not to be an asshole, but people are really fucking digging me being an asshole. They want to go home with me sometimes because I'm kind of being a cool guy. And, you know, that's arguable. That could be me reinforcing it too later. Maybe other people just liked me. That's very possible. They just... They were like, uh, you know what? He's just being a dick right now, but, but I still like him I anyways. I see something in him I like him anyways. And yeah. that's very possible. But I didn't believe that probably because I fucking hated myself because I had this like will to die, this wish to die, mm-hmm. That because that was there. I was trying to self-destruct all the time. And so I thought like I had to be this monster. And because if I was this creature, and I mean, I think I'm talking about myself maybe a little too negatively, but it's because I'm scared of that time ever coming back. Well, sure. I mean, like, that was a painful time, dude. It's like, painful. Yeah. It's, it's weird because sometimes a song, like a weekend song will come on or something, or like, I don't know, and, and I'm immediately back, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I want to go back there. There's some <laughs> romantic, crazy things we did. We did yep. bad things. Uh, and it's like remembering high school fondly, weirdly, where you're like, you for, you always remember high school fondly when you're done with it because you're like it was such a fun it was so romantic and like weird like we we're just kids and you know parties on the weekends and gossip all the time and hanging out and see each other at school but then you're like wait there was homework all the fucking time and there was no control over my existence and I had to wake up every fucking day and be miserable and tired and it, there's all this bullshit that you just let go of and yeah. it's like it only gets worse I'm like I look back at my twenties my like my my torrential hurricane years and and I'm like oh, I miss it sometimes I miss I miss uh. I miss fucking doing cocaine and then rolling in to teach MMA at 9 a.m. at the gym and and sleeping at the couch for two hours before teaching a class on health and wellness. You know, like, and I'm like, wait, I was so miserable. I wanted to fucking die. You know, like I was trying to die. I was so miserable. So it's weird. It's just weird how easy it is to get sucked into those romances around our It's super easy to like romanticize all of it too. I mean, it was just like, you know, uh, I mean, that's part of what I miss about like, oh, man, like for me, I call it quits right before my 24th birthday. Like and I'm just like, but I have so much so many great adventures ahead of me. And, you know, I was super scared that I was never going to be funny again. I was never going to be Oof. with girls again. I was never going to, you know, fill in the blank. 
was like my biggest fear coming back from the hospital, going to my first 12 step meeting was just like, Oh God, it's fucking over. The party's over. Like, Oh my God. Like, you know, just time to shut it down. Like, okay. And none of that has happened. I know. It's like your life seems real fucking boring since then. (laughs) Seriously. It seems like really like you don't create anything. You don't laugh about anything. You don't fucking eat good food and hang out with good people and and make adventures. You're like constantly doing that. Like you're literally. I I was thinking about that today, actually. And I was just like, um, in case I forget, let me remember this fact right now. I am doing exactly what I want to be doing with my life. And it is it is yeah. magical and beautiful, despite what my head will tell me, because right. my head still likes to tell me you should be making more money. You should be further along in your career. You know what? You shouldn't be driving a 13 year old fucking uh, <laughs> Honda toaster or whatever the fuck you drive. Like, dude, dude, you know? I, I remember one day, like after the whole uh, new media thing was taken off, we were making videos and people were laughing. It was a good time. And and, um, you know, there's like a, for a decent chunk. I was like just living off of working as an actor and a host and shit like that and uh not not rich at all very paycheck to paycheck i mean money's like all you know a struggle i think in a lot of people's lives mm-hmm. this day and age i don't know anybody who's ever gonna fucking retire <laughs> like <laughs> if you have a pension or 401k like <laughs> i don't know who you are i don't know you're living some fantasy life uh you're it's fucking, not gonna be around you're fucking jeff bezos yeah, exactly. to me, dude you know <laughs> um but like uh I remember one day being like it was a weird kind of careful what you wish for genie situation where i was like I was like, huh. I was like, you know, when you said when you were 12 years old that you wanted to be a writer and actor because you just want to make people feel things, and that kind of evolved into like, yeah, you want to make people laugh, you want people, you know, make people feel better about their existence, think about their existence, whatever. Um, you didn't say you wanted to be rich, you know? You said you wanted to do that, and guess what? You're fucking doing that, brother. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> you're doing exactly what you dreamed about doing, and getting real with that is like, yeah, dude, that is what's important to me. You know, I think like, be responsible. Like definitely I, I'm, I'm just now in my life starting to get some actual strategies, fucking budgeting and living a life where you're like, Oh, I can make my life work and be responsible about houses over, uh, roofs over my head and food and whatever and healthcare and nonsense. But that core thing of like, my life's not enough. I'm not enough. I'm a, uh, that is, that is a lie. That's like a lie that the part of me that wants to kill me loves to fucking bring up over. Sure. No, I look at that as part of my ism is like, uh, for me, it's just like nothing is, is enough. Uh, it's like my loving wife is not enough. My, uh, you know, our, our beautiful townhouse on the west side of Los Angeles is not enough. Like my favorite car I've ever owned, like yeah. that I bought with fucking Pizza Hut commercial residual money is not enough. And it's like little things like that where I'm like, oh, dude, that's just my addiction trying to find its way in. It's dude. like what's. What's what's one like there are always like two ways that people always talk about of like ways that like addiction tries to find its way in. And for me, it's like romance and finance. And it's Ooh, that's like, really good. Yeah, that's how it manifests itself today, where it's sort of just like besides the fact like after you're saying after you've removed whatever your prefix ism is alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Or so, I mean, whatever. like. You know, hopefully I am very far away from my last drink and or drug, you know, yeah. based on the maintenance of my spiritual condition and doing all the things that I've sort of yeah tried to do. Um, but things that fuck with me with my head and tr- the way, you know, my alcoholism tries to manifest itself is finding ways that my life is not perfect. And for me, whether oh, and yeah. that's where it's just like, 
you know, that's why it's like, hey, the car is not the right color. This it's that, that the other. voice. It's, that's it's that like, voice in the back of your head that's saying you're you not enough. Fucking suck. Yeah, you're yeah, not you're good, fucking yeah. terrible. You're not a good writer. You're a terrible actor. You're not funny. Like, you know, and occasionally, like, mm-hmm. and you know this about. I mean, like last year, uh, like I was just like, I'm going super freelancey, and like, let's see what happens. And then it was like, I went through three months where I worked a total of two days over the course of the first quarter. Yeah, and that voice in the back of my head was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, do, do you know how to produce? You can't book a voiceover job to save your fucking life. Like, yeah. you don't know how to write, act, right. produce, like do any of the things that like you've trained your entire life to do I and that to, you tell the universe dude, yeah, you can exactly. do. I almost, I almost kind of seriously would be like, hey, dude, Lindsay Lohan made it when she was like four. Okay. <laughs> you think you have a fucking chance? Gosling was on the fucking Mickey Mouse Club. Okay. Yeah. You don't have a fucking chance to make like, that's that voice for me where you're like, and then, you know, at the same time, you always also have like the George Clooney stuff. You're like, he didn't make it till he was in his mid late thirties or whatever. Right. Or, or like Tommy Lee Jones, who like, you've never seen not be old or, or whatever, you know? <laughs> and then, and then, and that's funny because to me, that's like secondary level, but like even telling yourself these positive examples is like, you're feeding the problem. Right. It's like, it has, you can't acknowledge, to you can't acknowledge it. Yeah. One of the things too is like, they didn't have the ability to shoot and direct and edit their own fucking shit like we do now. Oh, yeah. And that also is like, think of how many, this is a thing I think this is, I mean, you can see it, proof is in the pudding. Like, n- you're never going to get numbers for single viewer uh, uh, audiences like you got for the MASH conclusion, The right? The MASH conclusion, like the highest rated thing ever in the, what, 70s or something like that? You know? Yeah, yeah. And it was like 45 million people tune in to watch the last episode. Guess what? You had like five channels. You would like five, three, three, three fu- channels. Yeah, three fucking channels. Okay, what are you gonna watch? Yeah. You know. <laughs> so now it's like a big tune-in is like what fourteen million is like huge. Yeah, that's insane. That's like Roseanne, right, yeah, or something yeah. like that in the current creation. That's like the Voice. Like you're getting like these. That's and think about that. N- not only is it a quarter of the greatest, the lar- largest viewed thing ever, mm-hmm. but it's also in an, in a, a quarter of that size when the population of the world has doubled. So it's even more small. And I think like with the advent of this thing, no one will ever be as famous as Elvis was again. Sure. But you could have like 3,000 Elvises. Mini Elvises. All with like, like, yeah. And if it, it, it like, there was something like years ago that they were like, all you need to sustain yourself a is a thousand like, true fans. A thousand true fans who will like buy your stuff and whatever. No matter and, what you put out, they will buy it. Yeah, your albums and stuff. And not in like a cynical way, not in like a no. gross business way. Like you make a thing and people are interested in it. And I actually think that's really kind of beautiful. The, the, the dystopian version that I like to think about is that in the future when robots take all of our jobs and right. there's nothing left that humans do, that like automation takes the only thing that will be left is content creation and so everybody will be a content creator for one other person and everybody will have their one audience of one person and you'll watch the videos of the one person that they vlog to you and then you'll go make your vlog for the person who you vlog to but I like, mean I'm preparing for this dystopian future like <laughs> yeah. all but, the other jobs out there are gonna be yeah, gone something like that kind of exists already in kind of a way that I think is fucking great which is like you can have now thousands and thousands of people who put their thoughts and their art and creations out there in the world and their audience is something that sustains them and just it's a smaller audience but damn it's fucking meaningful i think it's i mean doing theater right doing theater i used to be like just in terms of finding meaning right and finding meaning with your creations and like 
truly what matters to you? Is it about being famous? I think it's reasonable to say that there is a desire to support yourself. Like, that's fine, you know, to say, like, I don't want this to just be a hobby. I'd like to be able to pay for my life until we get rid of money and figure that out. But, you know, in the meantime, I'd like to survive and be able to focus on this thing that seems important Mm -hmm. to me. But if that thing that's important to you I think usually when people get honest with themselves, it's, it's, uh, or get, I don't know. I mean, if some people maybe have an illness and it is about popularity and people looking at them, but most people I've met who are truly artists is like, they want to put something good in the universe. They want to positively affect other people. And, you know, I, I like, there's that, like, if you change one person's life for the better, like you fucking done a good thing on this earth. No, I, I, I agree too. And like, actually I had somebody ask me yesterday, uh, based off an Instagram post I put up and they were just like, so, um, you know, are you going to be, are you going to be like super famous like right now? And I was just like, ha 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 ha. Like, uh, a, that's not on my radar. Like if that happens for some reason, based off of something we've created, awesome. But like, I'm still a weirdo artist at heart. Like yeah. I'm a super broy weirdo artist. Um, and I just want to make people feel things. And it's like some of my favorite things that we've created have had like few views oh yeah dude i think about it there's uh the poem stuff i put up is like i millions of views on some of our dumb videos and and i'm delighted by those i'm glad that i can fucking make somebody laugh in their day or or or, you know like take the piss out of some stuff that's like a little bit too full of its own fucking piss but like uh (laughs) moon juice fucking crossfit like whatever um just take a moment to look at some of this goofiness but like those things that are really true to my heart that like are are feel like my favorite things the fact that they get those thousand views or whatever are like a thousand views like dude what i've done plays in chicago with full casts for an audience of two people yeah we've canceled shows because nobody shows up you know and you're like did that fucking shit i'd do it again yeah you know that's the dirty secret of artists and why artists have to like you know, kind of get shitty about money sometimes. We're like, you gotta pay me something because yeah. the secret is we do it for free. We're fucking, we have mental problems. It's like a compulsion. It's it's your thing you gotta do. But like that thing about positively impacting people, I think also what you, the thing you brought up is really important. Like the shame things about social mm-hmm. media or whatever. Here's the irony for me. Like, cause you take a selfie, you 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 know, and and you're instantly criticized to post selfies of yourself, whatever, for like, oh, fucking obsessive. Oh, we love to. I, there's this big piece. This is the funniest fucking thing. Next to one of the offices I work at, near one of the offices, there's this giant street art, quote unquote, you know, mural yeah. in big spray paint letters, and it says, "You are not a public figure." Okay? <laughs> yeah, I know it. Yeah, huge fucking side of the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Like almost a city Wait, block hold long. Hold on. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. Huge city block long. You are not a public figure. And then the tag of the artist. Yeah, exactly. With his like Instagram handle, with his little logo. And you're like, oh, fuck you, dude. Yeah. You are not a public figure. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah, follow me on Instagram. You know, and it's like. Friend, so, okay. follow, like, and so subscribe. So first of all, get yeah. fucked. Get yeah. fucked about that. Second of all, what what is the point you're trying to make? That nobody matters? That yeah. nobody matters. Is that it? You're not a public figure. You don't exist to everybody. Get fucked. Okay, so that's a weird thing. Why is that important to you to kind of squash people? And third, I will let you go. I will let you. Yeah, okay. I see your face. I will yeah. let you. Third. 
I mean, I'm not talking, I don't think people necessarily think they're like fucking influence, you know, influencers. If you think you're an influencer, get fucked also. But sure. But then third, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I used to be like, I feel really uncomfortable with selfies or things or pictures of myself on, on Instagram. No, I, listen, I would give you shit about it all the time. Oh, it's great. It's great. And, I, I appreciate it. But, but, but I think, I love this fucking leaf blower. Yeah. No. Do you want to wait until it nah, goes? I don't think, I don't know if you can pick it up anyway. Probably it's not. Life. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but. I, I, it's, it sort of, first you feel like it negatively, it's a negative reinforcer, a positive, re, a positive, you know what I mean? It's a bad thing that's reinforced because you get more likes, more people would like it, more people comment. People like, like they, looking they at they faces. Like but that's the thing. And then I started realizing, wait, I like other people's I do the same thing. Whenever I, like I see my friends' faces, I'm like, hey, it's good to see you. Yeah, like, hey, because we're social alive. creatures. I'm a yeah. stupid monkey walking around. And when I see somebody else that I consider to be part of like the things I like, and you know, you see your friend's face, you see the face of, of, of a crush, you see a face of just a person who um, makes you feel good because they're funny or smart in the world. You see their face, you go, I like that. Yeah. And now we have this monkey reaction where we can literally double tap, 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 and there's a heart. I like that. You know? And then we're criticized for it, for like the thing that we like that other people do. And then you make yourself available. Be like, I, here I am, part of the community. This is me. And you know what? I'm feeling myself in this picture. Yeah. You know, this, I feel, I feel good. And especially, you know, whatever. I think we give a little bit too much, like, uh, some people definitely do, like, look fucking sexy as fuck and then go this is body positivity <laughs> and that is like also cringe as fuck where you're like oh fuck you just be sexy if you want to but like body yeah. positivity even though they definitely had shame as a child I get it I fucking hated my body too but it's just because you hated yourself you don't have to like you know you don't have to dress it up honesty is nice but part of the honesty is like hey yeah fucking be out there be present in the community there's no shame in that anyway yeah, please respond to my point too about you are not a public figure <laughs> and like what are you trying to squash people because I think you're a good person I'd like to see, I'd like to hear your rebuff of that okay all right so I think what the initial like the and again I'm I'm supposing what the artist was trying to say it was like you know there's there's a whole bunch of people that classify themselves on instagram as public figures that are so far oh, from public mine figures says, uh political candidate <laughs> <laughs> but you're team troll man like i know I you know. know uh but like once you switch your thing over to a quote-unquote business account so you have better analytics it's like well what are you and Dude, it's I like know, but that's that's what mine. That's what, but see that that's so fucking confusing, man. This categorizing thing, like it happened today. I was doing something, and they're like, "Um, so what are you? What are you? Are you an actor or whatever?" And I'm like, "Dude, I guess I'm an actor, but I haven't been on a TV show or anything for like oh two for the years. thing today, yeah, yeah, you know, or like I I guess I'm a host, but I haven't really hosted something. I'm kind of a YouTuber, but I don't have my own YouTube channel. I'm kind of uh, I uh." Am I right? I've written a lot of things. Writer, Some producer. of them have been produced, but I not lately. I mean, you know, we've been writing screenplays. And we got the shopping around, but you know what I mean? So you're like, well, what the fuck do you want me to say? I was a butcher for a while. I was a cook. I can do that too. I taught MMA and CrossFit. Well, I don't know. Am I a trainer, a personal trainer? What am I? I like to write poetry. Some people really like my poetry. They know me because of that. I'm a poet. You know, and you're just like, They're I like, don't fucking know what to say. Hey, dude, we just need someone to put on your lower third. Exactly. Like- exactly. And then you just get, f- and then you're weird. And then you're fucking weird. Your personality? What you're, are you? You're an influencer, bro. Dude, the idea. I was thinking the other day, you know, when they say like Ralph Waldo Emerson or something like that, they were like a great thinker of his time. And I was like, what a dream to make your, like, can I just make my title thinker? How can I get to the position where I'm just considered a professional thinker? You know what? You can do that. Uh, I just had, you know, I just turned in my, it's tax season, allegedly, when this was yeah, recorded. Yeah, this. Yeah, I'm fucked, but uh, cool. <laughs> but so they make you put down like what you are. And I was just like, 
oh holy shit look at this writer producer like this is kind of yeah. this is kind of like you know what i always write entertainer i just say entertainment right. and that's what people like billy crystal do because it's sort of like what do you call people who kind of do all aspects of entertainment yeah but, I mean, I mean, if you want, because because that's the other thing about it. When you start to try, get something that's more all encapsulating, a it becomes too vague, and b it becomes too like shamanic woo woo. You're like, I'm a storyteller, <laughs> you know. When I make you a sandwich, I'm trying to take you back to your childhood. I'm a storyteller. You know what? And that's one of the things that I hate because like. You know, I'll I'll teach uh, I'll do like workshops on immersive storytelling and stuff like that. And like it pains me to like refer to myself as a storyteller because it sounds so like. But that's what it is. Your ability to your I mean, that really is probably the closest thing to what we really are. This like this uh, cross disciplinary ability to see narrative and fulfill narrative, which frankly, even in the darkest sense, I used to I think I've said this on another one of these. But I was like when I was in my darkest days or whatever and compulsive and just looking for any escape from pain and the things that really did make me think love and sex addiction were like kind of one of my things was like it seemed so easy to romantically get involved with people because all you needed to do was see the obvious transparent thing which I, I've realized is not obvious to everybody but the obvious transparent narrative that they wanted to be the character that they wanted to be involved with and then be that character and so that ability to tell stories to see stories to embody stories is like and, and, what recogni- you and I do. yeah yeah especially recognizing stories in people where you know, when you get to know a little bit of a person's backstory and it just informs their character so much more, you yeah. know, I mean, I mean t- and, and it's funny to say this stuff because quite honestly, I do think it's mostly subconscious. I'm, I'm speaking after the events have occurred and going like, this is what it feels like happened because I'm not a magician. I couldn't just like, no, you're not cold reading for you. People, like, I know. And yeah. I couldn't like do some mysterious, like, Oh, well your mom wasn't really present in your life. So I'm going to, how did invo- you know? You know, you can't fucking do that. <laughs> I can't do that, but you can, I do think there are subconscious things. I don't know. I also think maybe there's some things that are in us, the same things that are fear-based and that are like aggression-based and have to do with like surviving the Ice Age shit. I think some people do have more natural predation instincts, mm-hmm. you know? And um, as much as I'm a victim uh, and I like to be a victim and I like to victimize myself, I'm like, oh, stop hurting me. Yeah. When, like I'm definitely creating the situation. <laughs> um, I also think in equal measure, I have the ability to prey. And, you know, not like in... Not like in true like gross As a predator like, what you're talking ways, about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But in sensing weakness, sure. in sensing like how can I be codependent with this person? How can I fulfill what they need and then resent them for me being something disingenuous to myself as if they forced me to be what they wanted, which is not true to me. But, you know, just so I could create drama and be a victim again, right. that has some predatory instinct where you can sense what this person needs for them to like you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like parts of my personality that I don't really like is like, I still see like some base sort of like predator instincts like right. there. I just try not to engage with them as much. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think, and I think that is actually pertinent to the work of uh, recovery also in the sense that um, I, I was thinking about this earlier and I, I, uh, I, th- I realized this was a big epiphany when you were describing that um, you were trying to keep track of your lies and you'd be like, what did I tell this person and this person and where am I at? And I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. That sort of voice in your head that is like, I got this. I got this fucking addiction. I got it. I'm so smart. Oh. I'm so good that like to me, one of the big react- realizations, I guess, of my life was being able to realize that um, I was in the universe and mm-hmm. not the other way around, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously, 
anybody who's listened to me for five seconds knows I will run on and on about how actually, of course, we do have universes inside of ourselves and that kind of a thing. But the understanding in this more surface level one that you do have a true ego problem when I think you have a fast brain and you are a little bit broken. You have the hate machine inside you, that God-shaped hole that says like, I got all of this, all this, this is, I know, uh, yeah, I know there's other real people, but really I'm a solid, really it's all me. It's really a matrix and I can manage all of it. I can manage the lies. And oh, I can sure. manage the pains. I'm in I control. Can manipulate. I'm in control of fucking everything. And that is such a lie. And only when you like, go, oh, no, 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 I'm part of this vast, enormous fucking thing, um, which is very scary when you haven't truly surrendered to that. But once mm-hmm. you truly surrender to that, it's, I think, way more peaceful. And then you can look at yourself and go, oh, I do have some gross stuff. I got some, ooh, I got some predator stuff in me. And sometimes it feels good to be that monster. I better be careful with that and understand that and dialogue with it so it doesn't hurt me and other people. Yeah. You know? But I only- mean, that's, that's like... Something I still struggle with today. It's like, here I am, 39 years old, been married four years, you know, and and been sober for 15 and living a great life. And I'm just like, I'm still examining shit that's coming my way. You know, I'm still looking at at that, at, at like... You know, I, I forget who it was Plato or somebody that said like the unexamined life isn't worth living. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm constantly having to like, I tend not to take my emotional temperature too often just because like, sure, you can overdo that. You shit. can overdo that shit. And like, it's not healthy for me. But like, well, we t- I talk about here a lot. This like that, that mathematical paradox of like, um, you shouldn't be able to cross distance because because, it, it, you know, because like um, basically every length to cross uh, this distance, I have to go half the length, and then I have to go half of half that length, and then I go half of half that length, and I go half of half that length. Right. And if you keep having things, you never get to the end, right? Because it gets so infinitesimal. So I think that that's like that. If you take your temperature too much, if you check in too much, Oof. dude, you can't. Then you can't just, you know. Sometimes- no, I mean, I, I I do it so rarely. Sometimes I'm like, hey. Zeke, are you a sociopath? You're not? <laughs> okay, cool. Like, <laughs> sociopaths wouldn't ask that question. <laughs> like, That's good. You know, but, but really like, good sociopaths would know to ask that question. Exactly. And you can just start like going that. to that fucking hand yeah, job of a, like yeah. thinking. But I, w- I was telling somebody the other day, it was just like, I'm really lucky that, you know, I found fighting in MMA and grappling in 2008. A hundred percent agree Because with that. the volume on life has just gotten turned down so much. Because I'm confronted with horrible situations on a, I, yes. a lot. And, it, you know, it challenges my ego. It challenges, like, my Horrible physical... situations meaning getting beaten up, getting choked out. Yeah, like yeah, 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 exactly. Like a, a, a somatic sense of, like, violent jungle helplessness. Somebody smashing you in the face or just a 300-pound man just dumping and who knows how to use his body. Yes, putting all of his weight on you and being like, Mm. I could tap out or fucking die right now. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Either one seems like a completely uh, normal reaction. Just air crushed out of your lungs. Yeah. But being like, no, I'm not. I refuse. Yeah. And, And it's just allowed me to sort of just be like, you know, interpersonal stuff has just gotten so like, hmm, like it's not even a blip on my radar totally. most of the time. Totally. Well, I think there's a thing uh, when I was reading about ADD stuff. Actually, there's a thing they described about um, uh, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. They called it, which mm. is like a related emotional hyperarousal, like this internal life that's extremely hyperaroused and sensitive. Not not sexually, but that too sometimes. But you know, that's just like everything. The volume's so high on life, like you were yeah. saying, and. Um, that like the 
rejection sensitivity dysphoria has to do with if you are rejected or perceive rejection in any way. And that can even be by yourself, like an, mm-hmm. a, a feeling that you're not like living up to your own standards or something like that. Or I fucked up. I'm, I'm so terrible, which, you know, you love to go into those, like you said, hand job discussions with yourself. Sure. Like that, uh, it manifests almost as physical pain. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of started to think, and the way I interpret it now and look at it is like uh, related to what you're talking about specifically is like my body just thought it was dying. Anything that scared me, anything that was bad, anything that was even like a little bit of a bad feeling, I was so unable to regulate or experience it that I would go like, I'm dying. And so if somebody, <laughs> yeah. if somebody was like, mean if somebody like, even yeah. rightfully said, hey, you hurt my feelings when you did that thing, yeah. my body and emotional uh, chemical reaction was kind of like, why are you killing me? Yeah. Stop trying to kill me. In a very weird, childlike, truly experiential way. Yeah. Uh, which is not cute in a fucking <laughs> 20-something-year-old male or 30-something-year-old male or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just it's fucking weird, actually, I've come to understand. And combat sports, strangely, mimicking fucking dying, knowing what, oh, this is what dying would feel like, yeah. starts to help you regulate that a little. For me, you know, for, for you and I, I think we're of that cloth, where it's yeah. like, oh, that's dying. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is coming from a not tough guy. Like I am, I am no, anti, no, no. I am anti tough, but at least coming close to that threshold and being like, oh, that's real. And everything else is fucking bullshit. Yeah. When I'm just having like, a just such a, a nice I way love. to yeah. like, uh, exactly. Like, you know, having like a healthy discussion where I'm like, hey, Jerry, it doesn't make me feel good when you do X, Y and Z. Can we like Zeke, it feels down? like you're trying to murder me right now. Please stop. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> you're not allowed to criticize me. Because, yeah, exactly. Because um, your feelings are invalid and I hate you. Yeah, because you, I don't care <laughs> and you're trying to kill me and I'm a hurricane of unregulated emotion. <laughs> That one seemed, that felt too yeah, real. That, felt too real. <laughs> that laugh felt too real. Fuck you. <laughs> well, there was a time, man. There was well, a time. Yeah. Certainly, there was a time. I appreciate you not um, making me feel like I was dying. No, I, I <laughs> listen. I try to be as compassionate as I can. No, you, know? you are. You are whatever. Actually, let's. Uh, you want to segue into some of my? Can I ask you my mental uh, diagnosis medication question? Of course. Yeah. Do you have you ever been diagnosed with anything by a psychiatrist? I guess, and and if so, have you been prescribed and or taken any medication for it? So, uh, kind of yes and yes to all of the things. Okay. Um, As a kid, I was a super nervous kid. uh, And, like, my doctor actually prescribed... like an antihistamine as a farm, like to deal with anxiety. No, no, this is real. My my current uh, antidepressant it's called Remeron or Mirtazapine. Yeah, yeah. Was that what you took? No, 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 no. Oh. This, uh, you got to remember. Like this copy was that, like copy that. That's right. You were a pharmacist also. Also, this was like I was. This was probably like 1986. Word word. Like, well, I just thought it was interesting when I was reading about it. It's not an SSRI or an SNRI. It's like a different kind of antidepressant. I think I was prescribed because I have uh, sleeping. Pro- I was saying I was in insomnia too, and so I take it at night. It makes you a little bit sleepy sometimes mm-hmm. uh but it, it's it's an antihistamine antihistamine also yeah. which i was when i was reading about it, i was like oh that's so interesting that that so it's also used sometimes to treat like anxiety and and stuff like that which i think uh i'll be honest i, I don't think my psychiatrist ever explicitly said you're a, you have depression and you have this and that i will know i know that over my life my dad's bipolar too and i've often thought maybe i was bipolar also but um you know, looking at that medication and realizing how much it sort of helped me in an yeah. unconscious in an unconscious way. Not in a like I felt like daisies and rainbows all of a sudden, but suddenly being like, 
realizing when I first went back to see her two weeks after starting it and being and her being like, have you had any of the these the depression these symptoms? symptoms? Yeah. I mean, like, oh, wait a minute. I have not. I have That's not had a day nice. where I was... I not like I suddenly was like happy all the time, but it was just like I got out of bed and did stuff all the day. So <laughs> yeah. fuck, okay, that's, yeah, that's cool. pretty good. Anyway, so it was fascinating antihistamine. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So like uh, as a kid, like I uh, I had like really bad eczema and like just super bad. Officially, I was allergic to everything, mm. and only later on in life did my doctors be like put on the prescription for anxiety. And like there was anxiety was a big sort of contraindication of like what was going on with like all yeah, the skin shit that was going on. People, yeah. People like break on hives from anxiety. Right. And like, you know, it's only through doing a lot of work and having a lot of distance from it. Dude, I but I was that. like, like I, I, I love my, my hippie parents, God rest their souls. Mm -hmm. But my my household was fucking chaos. Sure. Uh, my dad was like an active like alcoholic until I was like 12 or 13. And my mom was like super codependent and like definitely dealt with like clinical depression and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And she did not deal with that shit until probably after I went to college. So it was just like a whole lot of chaos. My parents split when I was four. I know I'm sort of like motoring through a lot of this. No, but, no it's good. You know, it kind of just informs a little bit of what was going on as far as like um, me feeling like my entire home life was chaos. Yeah. And like home didn't feel safe. And I was constantly just and you know, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, like technically I had allergies, but like it was a physical manifestation of the fucking craziness that was sure in my house. Yeah, that totally um, and so like that was probably the first time I was diagnosed, medicated to some yeah. degree. But, you know, it wasn't really, you know, obviously I tried to do things to sure, myself via drugs and alcohol. Dude, that Well, that's what I always say is like. You know, it's. It, uh, I do think there's over medication problems in this country. I think that's really fucking obvious. I've seen them up close and personal with my dad, and uh, it made me avoid things for a long time, psychiatric medication or diagnosis or anything like that, because of the, my personal feeling of stigma around it and fear about those products. It's uh, then ironic, of course, that I had no problem self-medicating all day long with all kinds of alcohol and yeah. other drugs. And um, yeah, when I like when know. I like when I found uh, when I had my first drink at, at like 14, I think 13, oh, yeah. 14. Yeah, I think I was. I found 15. like the fucking solution to life. Yeah. Like I am so lucky. Dude, I always tell the first time I got drunk was Bacardi 151. Yeah. And I just uh, that night I uh, I wept uh, to a girl that I was yeah. like in love with and told her that I was in love with her. Well, the spirit that. compelled you. I man. mean, the first and come on, man, that's too good. First time you get drunk is like this is the opportunity to cry at some girl you're in love with. Yep. You get problems <laughs> anyway. Yeah, fourteen solution. Yeah, problems. so I mean, it was like great. I was like, oh, this is what I've been missing. This is like the cause of like the Simpsons have always said, like cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yeah. Um, and it was great. Like, I was like, I could finally like relax a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, fast forward through sobriety and whatnot. And like, when I finally saw a psychiatrist, it was because I think I'm trying to think if it was like right after my dad died or if it was after my mom passed. I'm not, I think it was after my dad died. That like I actually decided to see uh, you know a psychiatrist and be yeah. like, hey, I'm not feeling right and I can't sleep, um, you know. And this was at the suggestion of my now wife, who you know yeah. I had seen her, you know, 
make incredible strides um, in her mental health and overall well-being through working with with psychiatrists. And I'm not saying anything that sure she wouldn't say. Um, in fact, she's always just like, if you ever want to talk to any of your friends about like depression or anything, you let me know. And I'm yeah. like, well, I know when I brought up to you guys that I was, you guys very generously like offered up uh, a recommendation for a doctor and stuff. And I was open with you about, you know, that I was like, I think I'm going to see a psychiatrist, you know? Oh yeah. And I mean, that's really helpful. I think it's good to be that, re- not to be pushy, but to always be like open and helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, at least give it a shot. And so for yeah. me, like, you know, I would, <sighs> You know, I was definitely depressed um, because I was like 27 when uh, when my dad sort of passed rather spontaneously after like a quick bout with cancer. And it was just like, uh, you know, I was having problems sleeping and just sort of like it was the first like major loss I had dealt with. Mm. Um, I had been very lucky and like I hadn't dealt with major loss before. And then like it was like all of a sudden the mind would just not shut off. And so like started taking, you know, as prescribed Ambien, uh, and all the wonderful side effects that come along with taking Ambien. Oof. And what, what uh, are the side effects that come along? <laughs> one of them is like, I've, I've honestly never taken Ambien. So. Uh, if you can avoid it, do yeah. it unless, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the funniest thing is when you say Ambien, the first thing I think about is all the people I know who have been like, dude, it's dope. Take Ambien, then stay awake. <laughs> Fighting sleep. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing yeah. that like happens is like, you know, you end up trying to fight sleep and you get super hungry. And then like, you know, I would, I probably put on a fair amount of weight just through like, like ambient mm, eating wow. because it was just like the ambient starts to kick in. You have a sense of well being, And then it's just like, it's almost like the fucking, you know, munchies. You're just like, I need to see what's going on. But it also has a, like a hypnotic effect of like, and also makes like an amnesic effect too. So like, weird. Yeah. So I like, Back when Christine and I lived in Venice, like, you know, I plowed my way through an entire thing of like King's Hawaiian rolls one night on Ambien. It's <laughs> Hawaiian rolls. I All of them. That, dude. Just like, buns. It's so crazy. Just buns and there. fucking butter. And it was looked like a like a fucking Wolverine had like busted into our place <laughs> and like yeah. gone through it. And I had used a fucking steak knife to put butter <laughs> on the buns. And I was like, hey, babe, what's going on? Like, did you get hungry last night? She's like, oh, I didn't have any buns. I'm oh, like, my God. I was like, oh, God. And it was just like little yeah. images were coming back to me. I'm like, oh, God, fucking ambient. That's like, scary. Well, I have a question about that then. As somebody in recovery, why did that, does that weird you out? Do you stop right away? Is ambient like, does it, you know what I mean? Because that sounds, that sounds pretty intoxicating in a kind of way, you know? Sure. Does that sure. count or how does that work? Well, no, I, as, since it was prescribed by a medical professional, like it's not like I was Under doing it socially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But did you, I mean, it seems to me there's a danger, even with a medical professional that like somebody would take one and be like, whoa, one of these is cool. Maybe I should try four. <laughs> right. No, you know? no, absolutely. Well, my, my, uh, my shrink knew that I was like in recovery and like, I was just super so transparent really, yeah. about like, Hey, well, this is what's going on. And at a certain point, I assume that means if, if there were fishy things about, Oh, Hey, I actually lost my prescription. Can you write me another one? That means your doctor would be like, fuck hey, off, dude. Fuck you, dude. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, okay. You should probably call your sponsor. That yeah, makes exactly. Sense, yeah. But like also like, you know, my wife knew that, like, that, you know, I'm I'm in recovery and like to help you out. Yeah. Exactly. And so, like, if I start getting sketchy or weird, like, you know, I, I have a little bit of a buffer of safety net. But like, you know, also it that got, is really important, actually. I think that does seem like like just having that community, somebody to like 
be part of it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So far, I've been really lucky. I haven't had any major surgeries or anything that's required uh, any sort of like painkillers or narcotics or anything <sighs> like that, yeah. which, by the way, was early on a consideration when I was doing all these dumb physical things that we do. Right. And so far, I haven't had anything that's really required that. Yeah. Um, Just do ibuprofen and shit when you need to. Yeah. And even yeah. then, like, I have to be in serious fucking pain for me to, like, right, consider, take yeah. anything even something as tame as like ibuprofen. Yeah. Not because I'm a tough guy or anything like that, but I'm like, I used to take, <laughs> yeah, I, I used to take heavy narcotics just because I'm like, I'm in emotional pain. Like, yeah. I know somebody who, uh, that's an interesting thing. I knew somebody in recovery who said, uh, they told me like they mouthwash. They were like, they, um, even the non-alcoholic mouthwash, they, they couldn't, do it out of a little cup because it was it felt too much like doing shots. Right. I, I understand that, that that's feels his like drama. That person was dramatic, but I do think there's some significance to the idea of like your rituals around a thing can sometimes be, you sure. know, yeah, no, I mean, replace, like, yeah, that makes that that makes sense, but I, like, but yeah, that is a little bit. Oh, I get it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I get super yeah. judgy about stuff like this because I'm like fucking like you can't go through life you know with mattresses around you like for sure, for sure. But uh, I mean, that's, but you can know your you can know your boundaries. You can know the things no, that absolutely. set you off. Absolutely. That's a, you know, I was thinking about that, like the the you know it, trigger trigger language and triggering the trigger warning and stuff. Like that that is so easy to make fun of. It's so rife for comedy mm-hmm. because like it's just easy. You yeah. know, it's it's like it's there, and aspects of it are funny. People like get really overwrought. But then uh, something came up today. I was like. Hey, you know what? If I can go through my day and not make somebody think about this terrible thing, not even somebody who it's yeah. happened to, then that's a win. I don't need to do that, you know? Yeah. And I was like, damn, that, there is some truth about like little tiny weird things that just are unpleasant that you or that set you off that you know are your thing. And- right. Or or even like when you think about your comedy or whatever you sort of put out into the universe when you're just sort of like today I'm going to try not to punch down at people. Well, and it's definitely, like, that's, you know, that's something too that I still struggle with. Cause like so much like humor is like punching down at like people and you're just like, okay, is there an- another way to do it where I'm punching more at myself than yeah, down well, at like, I, well, I think certainly that, I mean, I think it's just awful to do. I think the, you never punch down is like a really good principle of comedy. And if you have to punch down, then, then you're, not very funny, You're but, not very but also like question, like, what do you, what's funny? I think like the comedy that says, Hey, I'm making fun of myself. And in that we're all making fun of ourselves and we're all laughing at ourselves together because this is, isn't it weird that we're human is kind of the ideal that it's like this thing that bonds us in our hilarious absurdity and it gives us a way to laugh at things that hurt. Yeah. You're trying to make life better with laughter. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like, I'm going to make life better for, for a very small amount of this audience or or even like a majority of my audience by shitting on this little tiny one that they feel annoyed by. It's so yeah. gross. It's so awful. Well, I mean, it, you can do better. You, you know, can it's, just, it's kind of oh, it, more yeah, than anything. I just, I, I just feel lazy. Like, or I when I see it in other people, I'm just like, come on, man. Like, you could do better. Yeah, you, you're I, so yeah. much better than that. And like, that's that's nice. That's a good way to, that's a good way to like, Especially the kind of people who will do it, you're probably more likely to get them to not by like making it a weird like 
capability thing, you yeah. know, being like, you know, cause they're not going to feel like the whole thing about like, Hey, doesn't it hurt you to like be mean to people who <laughs> no. are in a position of weakness? No. Be like, Shut up pussy. You yeah. know, but like really by, by attacking it as like, I think you could do better than that. That's just not very, yeah, no, you're lazy. a funny person. What's going on? Like, yeah. did you not try on that one? Oh yeah. Well, maybe I didn't. I, he did say I was funny. <laughs> um, wait, so you, so, so anyways, yeah, I know we, we sort of went on another tangent, oh, yeah, but, but like, uh, so as far as that stuff goes, like eventually I just like with the help of my psychiatrist, like tapered off just because I didn't need it anymore. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I I, I wonder about that sometimes. Uh, I'm actually going to ask my psychiatrist next time I see her because I am like, what should I be expecting here? Is this something that I'm like going to need to moderate my whole life with intervention mm-hmm. or is it the kind of thing that like um, I was using the analogy in another conversation uh, related to this of like pull-ups, like if you can't do a pull-up, you can't just do a pull-up one day, but if you get a box to stand on and get your legs to help you, you get a rubber band to help you over time, you know, you, and then eventually you can do a pull-up. And I'm like wondering, you know, this, these little chemical drips that have helped me level out a little bit to mm-hmm. like learn to actually employ certain strategies that feel like they're strengthening me. Will strengthening those habits over time, will I be able to like kind of take the, take the medication out and not have to do that anymore? Sure. I Not mean, because it's like such a burden on me or so changing, but just just because, you know, yeah. I feel more comfortable in general knowing that I don't like need a prescription every month. To- yeah, I, I get that. And part of that's ego and part of that's like part of it's ego. Part of it's just like practical survival stuff. Like, but frankly, if we do hit an apocalypse and I can't get medications anymore, then I feel like my wild rage and sort of anxiety issues and alertness will keep me like crazy and I'll be like real good in the in the wilderness. You yeah, know? yeah. No, there's there's a reason why, you know, people with mental illness and, and addiction have survived. Their genetics have yeah, survived totally. over time. Like, they have well, that I mean, survivor gene, dude. And, and honestly, like I've, I've thought about that yeah. Yeah. too like it's just sort of like why on the earth are are no, is this totally. still a thing over time and it's like oh because they're really good at survival of course because they're selfish and they're aggressive and they'll like do whatever they can <laughs> i mean it's it's supposed to i think it's important to keep in mind about america that when people are like why is this country so crazy and bipolar in in itself like and i don't mean like in the sense of bipolar um like literally, mm-hmm. I mean, two poles, like so opposed, conservative, lib- liberal, like oh, this whole thing. Yeah. Like, well, you have to remember the people that founded this fucking country are maniacs. Mm-hmm. They're murderers and criminals who and didn't want to pay taxes. Who, well, or who who got thrown out of their fucking country yeah. and shipped across the ocean to just get them out of Europe, like the weirdos and those people who like traveled all the way west on their own to murder people and take their things. Those are that's who we're descended from, right? You know, like that's who we're made of. Right. You know, so it's like important to keep that in mind when you're trying to understand why, why do we have so, why are we this first world country with so much wealth and so much possibility, but like the worst infrastructure and no good railroad system and so many guns. And it's like, (laughs) well, because we're fucking crazy people. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, that's a nice segue. Right. Uh, so that was question one. Yeah, I think we're going to move into, so that's technically not part of my six quick cues, but now we're going to start six quick cues, six quick cues. Six quick cues are just six little questions that I like to ask everybody as a kind of like, a kind of check-in and maybe to learn something or, or hear something. I don't know, that like, we've talked to you for a long time and I just like to have some some standardized cues at the end uh, sure. related to mental health and being a person. So let me just pull them up. 
Uh, first one is, do you have any consistent practices like, uh, you know, physical uh, is always the primary one I'm, I'm interested in because we talked so much about our emotions and mental state, but then also mental spiritual ones are acceptable. Sure. Uh, I have a ton of them and like, <laughs> I don't know, I do well with structure and like, I, you know, me and Google calendars are, uh, are really good friends and I schedule out my life sometimes down to like 10 and 15 minute intervals. Yeah. Um, so like. I probably work out in some capacity like six times a week as far as like a physical practice. Yeah, that's practice. true, you do, yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be crazy intense, right? Just movement sometimes. You are on a kind of a phase uh, of, of more intense than sometimes than I've known you. You're like definitely like Olympic lifting a lot. And- yeah, like for some reason I've fallen in love with Olympic lifting and like jujitsu has fallen out of favor with me. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it has zero to do with anything external other than the fact I'm really sort of embracing Olympic lifting right yeah. now. Um, but I mean, I still do CrossFit like a couple times a week, you know, Olympic lifting and yeah. And then when I'm into it, I really enjoy jujitsu and, and sort of that challenge. Yeah. Um, what, what is it about, uh, I mean, you know, I feel a little funny asking this cause I have my ideas. We know each other, but for the sake of the pod, what, what do you, what is <laughs> it about? Pod. What helps you with, what is it? Why? What does that practice do for you? So, um, for me, like it allows me to to get out my my more base instincts as far as like breaking things and fucking things. Oh, the animal stuff. Yeah, it's the yeah. animal stuff that because we live in a society that doesn't embrace that and I still have those genetics and those instincts, I need to channel them mm-hmm. somewhere. That's very responsible of you. It's the best thing that's... that's I, I'm actually really around. glad you said that because I think that like... That's stuff that people don't like to acknowledge, especially on. I mean, I think we're we're very progressive liberal side of the spectrum, pretty pretty general, pretty. I, I would, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and especially when you're those kind of people, I do think there are some people who don't have those instincts as much, and they truly don't understand. Like they think, you know, who would feel that? Oh, it's so monstrous, and it's just trained that, that it's just it's just some people taught, and they're not really like that. And I think it's important to go like. I feel very empathetic. I'm very I accepting. I love all people. And those uh, break things, fuck things is definitely just in my fucking genetics somewhere. It's I, just I, in my bones and blood. And it's weird. The older I get, the more I feel that reptilian part of my brain like being activated. Really? Yeah. That's interesting because, you know, there's that whole dumb fucking thing. They always say that like uh, if you're um, if you're it, what is it? If you're if you're young and uh, if you are young and not a liberal, you have no heart. And if you are old and not a conservative, you have no brain. That's right. the awful sure staying. But that is interesting that you're saying that because the reptilian stuff is where conservative thought comes from, like uh, be, meaning like um, obsession with security threats. Um, you know, violence as a deterrent and also a possible thing that will happen to you. That's sort of like the good faith thing of like, I believe conservative viewpoints come from focused on security and making sure you and yours are okay. Right. So it's interesting to hear you say like that as you get older, that becomes more present. It's strange. Like, you know, I was definitely like a young man where it was just like, I just want to fuck everything and, and like get into fights and all that dumb stuff. But like, it's funny now. It's a lot more. Maybe it's more focused. Where it's like just you, you just feel more aware of it. Like maybe you know. Maybe, I mean, that's what it seems like to me because you definitely don't seem like a very aggro guy at all. No, but, I try not. But to maybe be. you just know how to name it now. Now I I, I can sort of spot it and be mm. like, oh, like this doesn't have a place for it to go. Oh, okay, so I you, can probably address it somehow. Yeah, it's like you're more you're more aware of it. Not that you're just not that you're feeling it more. You're literally feeling it more. Not yeah. that there's more of it, but that you are feeling it more. 
I I am so acutely aware of it and how it impacts my life yeah. that I'm just like, ooh, you know, what we shouldn't be doing is like sitting in an office for 10 to 12 hours a day. Right. And sitting at a computer or talking into a microphone or doing all the things that yeah. we do for money and for work when our our genetics are being like, let's go break stuff and fuck things and build <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we've constructed a society where we don't have that opportunity. Most of us don't have an opportunity to do that right, outside run of construction or porn or whatever. I would you say, yeah, I mean? yeah, just running, jumping, climbing trees. Exactly. Like, you know, there's this thing that's always been, since I was a kid, there's just the feeling like, I just, oh, running, jumping, climbing trees. That's what I like to be doing, running, jumping, climbing trees. Right. Uh, you know, which is funny because I still, you get so lazy, you still don't want to do it, but there's this part of me that's always like, sees a tree, want to climb it. I don't know. And and we do, you learn to shut that down and stuff, and you get lazier, but also. Well, part of that is you learn to shut it down because it's like, well, this is what we do in this society. Right. You're and being like, a fucking weirdo. So, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's like, and then when it's warm out, I surf. Uh, yeah, dude, we got to surf again. We do. You took me surfing, uh, and I loved it uh, for my short stint of doing it. And um, damn, I just definitely want to get there again. I think it was probably one of the best physical practices I've I've ever experienced. There's something that truly, I think probably chemically and electrically, like with the salt and stuff, that there actually is something like ionically that goes on. They say like, you know, crashing waves like releases negative ions and stuff like that. Uh, forgive me if you've name checked the science and you're like, it's positive it ions, bullshit, whatever it is. But yeah, that, that there's something about that. There's something about being in that salt water that feels really cleansing. And then just, yeah, the repetition and the workout's crazy. The workout's there. crazy. You don't even and realize also, it's just paddling out. You're like, damn. Yeah, it, people who don't surf or don't no, like surfing is 90% paddling and 10% surfing. Right. So like, remember that next time you go out or you're like romanticized. And like, like oh, bro, five to 10% getting crushed into the ground. <laughs> oh, that's the other part too. It's a great ego crush. Like as far as just being like, oh, you think you're, you're badass on land. Like, hey, go go try surfing some like four to six footers and let me know how you do. Yeah, good luck, dude. I mean, whatever. I, I we were on little baby waves and it's, it's gets scary sometimes. It's crazy. Yeah, but it's such a joy. I mean, yeah. it's really just just being out there. So I mean, I remember the first time you took me and there were fucking dolphins. Yeah, like it's on magical. The Santa Monica, Santa Monica Beach, right by the pier. And there's just dolphins. It was so weird. I was like, all right. Oh, it's magical. Yeah. Uh, except, you know, now, like, I don't like going out when it's cold and I don't like wearing a wetsuit and mm -hmm. I, you know, whatever, but that's sort of the physical stuff. And I, I want to just briefly, I know we're, we're like super over time, but no, like, um, as far as the, like the spiritual and like emotional stuff, like, you know, I still pray and meditate on a. I should say I pray on a daily basis. I don't meditate on a daily how, basis. How does prayer manifest for you? Like, is it like on your knees, their hands clasped together? No, not anymore. Yeah, it, it was did, though. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It definitely did early on. Uh, and this is a direct result of me getting sober, where it's sort of just like hit your knees and be grateful and stuff like that. And like that is still a part of my practice where it's just like I still I still pray like, you know, but more often than not, it's me in the car. It's me while I'm washing dishes. It's yeah. me while what, whatever. And that's kind of the way it manifests itself. Cause like, I, I know I haven't really talked about it so far on the podcast, but like ignoring the, the spiritual part of, uh, or, or the, yeah, we'll call it the spiritual part of, uh, of the program is like ignoring the wet part of the ocean. You know, wow, yeah, that's interesting. You know, and and if I fail to mention that, I'm just kind of missing the point. But no, that's so, good. Like, no, I mean, but I think that is tough for people. I mean, who, what do you envision when you talk to when you pray? I mean, sort of like the infinite universe. I, I don't really think. Uh, like I do use the word God to represent yeah, like a higher power, but like I I don't know what God is. I don't pretend to know what, that. I I, I do you imagine don't know. it 
sentient? Do you imagine it as like a being that no. thinks of itself? You know, not at all. Yeah. No, I kind of look at it as like chi or life force or something sure. out there. Like, you know, I, I don't. I used to have really strong opinions on God, and now I don't. Because really, yeah, I just I. What I, were they before? I used to think it was a dude with like a white beard. Like I, so really? way back in the day I was being, uh, my mom was Brazilian. So ergo, I was raised in a Catholic faith. Uh-huh. And so all the things that go along with Catholicism, like were definitely transferred to me. Uh, well, there you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there it kind of went Episcopalianism, which has been jokingly referred to as Catholic light mm-hmm. and ended up going to Boston college, which was a Jesuit university. So mm-hmm. it was just like, uh, whether I've meant to or not, I've always kind of been a seeker and kind of put myself yeah. in a position to sort of like go that path. That's so interesting. Yeah. You know, you zoom out a little bit and you're like, oh, yeah, look at oh, what a, look at this pattern. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> you did this to yourself. Huh. You've always been looking for answers. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of sort of uh, ideas about like, you know, a male God with a white beard and he's this and that and the other. And that's you, the struggle I have when I when I say the word, you know, I can see some pe- sometimes people go like, they they think that's what I mean when I say God. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I mean, anybody who listens to this podcast hears me repeating myself. All yeah. Time. But yeah, it's a one syllable word to mean that fucking thing, you know, the thing that's out in the universe that I don't know. That or thing control. that is all of us. That is everything. That thing. Yeah. Yeah. That thing that may or may not have given us free will to do whatever the fuck. We I want. think the, the closest <laughs> thing I've come I don't know. I think my my most, mm, at least my most specific conception of it at this point that might be like the closest to what I think it might actually be mm-hmm. is that sometimes I just call it dark matter. Like I say, instead of fate or whatever, because we know dark matter exists. We just don't know what it is. That like, it's like a force akin to gravity. Uh, but if that were love, like, uh, uh, no, 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 I'll, I'll be more specific. It's like a sort of benevolence. It's a tendency of the universe towards existence. Yes. That like as opposed to destruction, chaos, nothingness, something in the universe tends towards being here. Right. Otherwise we wouldn't be here is my sort of instinct. And that is embodied in the things that uh, then in more specifically and morally in our lives, the things that encourage. Encour- I don't yeah, encourage. The things that en- encourage. Wow. Courage? More courage. You give courage to. Good fucking Lord. I never thought of that in that word. How old are you? 32 and you Good just figured God. that shit out? Encore means heart. Give heart too. <laughs> give heart. But anyway, give heart and age. Cool edge. Anyway, it's getting weird. Uh, no, but I do believe that in benevolence and things that encourage creation and love and peace and, and more presence, those are more existence, more things being here. And that that's sort of to me, what the idea of this natural force that we can't name yet, that is as real to me as gravity, Mm -hmm. you know, magnetism. I mean, I've heard some like some things like I early on when I started really sort of trying to figure out what a higher power or God is, I, I sort of was just like, Oh, it's the force from star Wars. And that is like the best way I can sort of describe it to somebody. Mm -hmm. Like when you're asked to describe something that, you more than likely don't know what it is and, and have a hard time sort of ex- explaining. But then I, and I, I always hesitate too when I, I heard somebody on the radio talk about, they're like, so what does God mean to this pastor? And, and this pastor was like, well, God is love. And I was, and it really struck me. And I was just like, yeah, yes, it is. And wow. this, it sounds like extremely trite and sort of like 
I don't know, simplistic. But like, if you think about it, like, it's not like romantic love. It's not like love in any specific form, but it's just like, it's a, it's a caring, it's, it's the wanting to, it's the embodiment of wanting to keep this thing moving forward. Yeah. You know? And it's funny because we do feel a little bit of, not shame, but embarrassment, I think, to say, it sounds obvious, it sounds trite, but I think it's important to remember, again, all people are just babies with neural net learning computers and evolving meat mechs around them. Yeah. Uh, you know, constantly adapting meat mechs. And you are nothing but the sum of your experiences. Mm -hmm. And some people might be able to add up and extrapolate experiences sooner to go God is love. Sometimes you got to fucking hear it out loud. Yeah. And it, and it's not, it's not weird. I don't think, uh, to say, I never fucking thought about that until you said that Yeah, and go like, and there was a moment in my life when somebody said that and I went, Oh, Oh my God. Oh yeah. Obviously. I think that's cool because I think, I don't know. I think people who know things are so critical of people who are ignorant of things mm -hmm. uh, in a way that then triggers all this sort of American and just human, like you're not allowed to be wrong instincts. That yeah. says like, Oh fuck you actually. Well, yeah, I think you're wrong. Yeah. yeah, I think you're actually your knowledge. I think that's ignorance. Haha, you don't even know how it works in the real world. Educated people don't have street smarts or something. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it yeah. creates this divide. And it's just because we create so much embarrassment and shame around ignorance mm -hmm. that it's like you're never allowed to learn in a weird way. Sure. Because if you ever let on that you didn't know, then it's like horrible. Yeah. I don't know. So I think that's really actually cool. And there's something like really nice about saying like, it sounds simplistic. It sounds trite. But I heard a pastor say, God is love. And I went, oh my God, that's yeah. true. Yes, it is. And it, and it's funny, too. Like, I don't, you know, if, when we do this again next time, my it'll probably change. But, I mean, that's that's what just right. comes to mind, you know, given at this day in this specific time. But Well, that actually might kind of answer the next question, which yeah. is, like, what's something cheesy that actually inspires you? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, pastor told me God is love. What? That's, that's the easy one. Um, another one is is just scrolling Instagram and seeing dumb inspirational people. You got one? Can you add, you got an inspo quote? Cuz I love that shit, dude. Ah, uh, man, I don't I don't have one. I like I um you know, there's a really big offender of that and it's not just hot chicks with nice butts that post like inspirational quotes in yeah. the caption. Uh so it, it hits me on two levels, but um like Gary Vaynerchuk, like he does that shit all the time. Oh, and sometimes it gets you. Well, oh, yeah. Well, uh, sometimes it hits me in the right spot where it's just like, yeah. oh, you know, like I'm a little low on inspiration and I owe pages. And then all of a sudden he's just like, your feelings don't matter. Like execution is everything. And uh, I was just like, you're right. I should probably go back to writing. That's so funny. <laughs> no, I feel that. That's so funny because I think so much of that's so toxic. We make fun of that Gary Vee kind of nonsense all the time. Always grinding 24 7. You're not, if you're not, if you're living, you're actually dying and you shouldn't be living. You should be grinding. You know? You should be grinding. What are you doing? Are you sleeping right now? Stop sleeping. Like, stop sleeping. Start grinding. Stop living. Start grinding. Stop, stop having dying. a family. Stop interacting with people. Grind. 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 <laughs> so weird. It's so awful. But it is true. Sometimes I see some of that like no nonsense bullshit fucking inspo stuff, and I'm like, ah, right, that helps me right now. I'm gonna no, use and it. it's like we've talked about too, like as far as like coaches, like hey, sometimes I need my coach to be like, 
hey, fucking pick it up, yeah, Thomas. Did, let's go. Yes, we talked about like, Oh, yeah, got it. Right. That, that George St. Pierre quit. We were literally talking about today. There's this George St. Pierre, this fighter, this French Canadian fighter, and he's uh, one of the best fighters ever. Like, And his coach, also one of the best coaches ever, coached a lot of champions. Yeah, Greg, like Jackson. Greg Jackson. Yeah, I just remember, and I might remember it wrong, but it's burning my memory enough that it exists as whatever it I is. I believe it is gospel. Yeah, so. <laughs> that, like, that like he's in the in the fight, he got hurt. Uh, George St. Pierre got like his leg broke or some, some serious shit after the fight they found out in like the first round and he's sitting there on his stool and you hear him go my leg hurts <laughs> in his famous French Canadian accent and Greg Jackson great coach always soft-spoken interviews seems like a really intelligent guy he's there in, in his face by the stool kneeling there and says uh and he says uh look at me I don't care go out there work the jab and just starts coaching him and 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 it, we, and it sounds so heartless to anybody who doesn't know fighting and doesn't know. If the someone read the transcript, they would be just like, "What the fuck is wrong what with an this asshole. coach?" This guy, we found it after the fight. He had a broken leg. Um, but first of all, George St. Pierre won the fight, I believe. <laughs> doesn't matter because either way, I saw that and I was like, "He loves him." Mm-hmm. I was like, "That coach loves that fighter because that is an act of love because he knows that fighter in and out. He knows." what that fighter needs. He knows what that fighter wants and wants to help him get what he wants. And in that moment, he goes, I don't care. Go do this. Go do what we trained to do for the last 12 weeks. Dude, and that is that is beautiful. Because I also I also think it's important to say in those contexts too, there's like violence. People think fight sports are violent, you know, because they are. They're yeah. fucking extremely violent. But understanding the difference between consensual violence between experienced practiced professionals who have changed their bodies into something yours is not yeah none of ours is that's like yes people get fucked up repeated concussions nobody can handle and you got to be responsible about a fighter's training and their experience and their careers and how long you put between fights if they get bad knockouts all that's true it's not tough guy nonsense but there is a difference between consensual violence between trained professional artists and and people beating people up on the street. There's what we train. Worlds of difference is sport fighting. Well, it is yeah, sport fighting. Know. Even 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 uh, it's exactly though. It's not gladiatorial. They're not they're not killing each other. Yeah. Where there's a lot in place that actually makes MMA, even though it looks more violent and bloodier, way safer than boxing or mm-hmm. or football. I would say. But I don't know. I just think that's important because in that context too, then you're saying like, hey, that's not the same. That coach saying that is yeah. not to be confused with in real life somebody saying to somebody, I'm really hurting and someone saying, I don't care. Right. That's like in a very <laughs> specific context, understanding the act of love is to tell them that you don't care because you're telling them so they can hear and we go, only actually, have 15 I don't care. more seconds before you're about to go fight somebody. Yeah. And I need to give you some advice as far as how to approach what he's doing. Yes. Like, and because that you can't let that enter your reality right now based on what you want to do. Yeah. You know, I think that's beautiful. Anyway. All right. That's some good. That's some that's some good cheese, man. I love it. Um <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Uh, the next one is, oh, I guess you kind of answered this already in a beautiful way with the break things, fuck things. I actually really appreciated that little <laughs> yeah, thing. Because okay. the next one is my goth question. What's something dark about you? But if you, you want you want to share any other little shadowy things? Um, that's a really good one, though. I will say that's a really good one because I do think that's something people don't talk about is that like... It's not I guess okay. just be, being, uh, acknowledging it has been a big thing for me. And like expressing that to people that I'm around and understanding being like, Hey, this is part of who I am. And this part of me still exists. And I do my best to try and, uh, mitigate all of that. So, and I love you and, uh, please be advised that this exists. Yeah. Like (laughs) that's good to people that 
would help them to know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like who? Like like family friends? I mean, like yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Like like my wife. Like you know, people that are close to me, like you. And it's just like you know, we we talk about this all the time, where it's like these days, I I am very open and and quite ready to say I love you to pretty much anyone who's in my yeah, life. Me too. Where it's just like, hey, Jared, I love you, man. I know. I'm like that too. And uh, I love you also. Thank you. And it's actually gotten even funnier since my brother's move. I mean, me and my friends, my guy friends are, I, I, you know, I think we have a very non-traditional American masculine group of friends. We're <laughs> yeah. like, we're pretty fucking expressive and very supportive of each other. Um, you, like we can bust each other's balls, but it's, it's not like the traditional thing I experienced all growing up where like the way you express love is only being shitty to each other. Yeah, like yeah. we're actually pretty cool about like actually being encouraging and checking in which i really prefer i think that's really great i feel like it's the healthiest yeah. way to do i it. think being able to take the like under fuck with each other is super yeah, yeah. important also but you no, know there's a way to bust balls and it's yeah. like only with great love can you like really bust balls and yeah. like and and i actually like and i think i do understand i think a lot of guys do understand that ball busting as like a way of showing love i just like that we explicitly do it too. Yes. We explicitly say your dreams are fucking dope, dude. And I like, why yeah. help you with those? I don't know. I think that's really good. Um, but I was going to say also, since my little brothers moved to LA yeah. and joined like my friend group more, the, I love you quotient has increased like intensely yeah. because my family just, we all say, I love you. Like hanging up the phone, everything. All right. I love you. Bye. You know yeah, yeah. that it's turned into like now, just to friends we're like oh, i love you bye <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. Just the thing. whether i mean to or not like i'm just like <laughs> yeah it's so funny yeah i don't know anyways um uh, all right the next one that's uh that's a that's a bunch of cues i think that was one to the we're getting there um what's something you thought was cool when you're younger but is clearly now not cool at all hmm this doesn't have to be i think after the heady conversation this is hitting people a little like heavy like oh what's like that was not cool dude like i don't even mean that i mean like it could be just some human ass dumb shit like that you thought like some style was cool or something you know what i mean like (laughs) it doesn't have to be um let me see i mean it could be dumb stuff like skateboarding or bmx (laughs) like i was like you don't think that's just cool anymore i mean it's it's still impressive but like, <laughs> that's really funny. It's impressive. I can't do it anymore. Rollerblading like, is impressive. okay. Impressive. Okay. But you know what? It's I, not. I, uh, cool. Straight through. Straight through the, that previous answer. Rollerblading is a great one. <laughs> that and like roller hockey. Like you know, because we didn't have ice out here, and everybody, we were just like, yeah, dude. I think roller hockey's come around full circle, and it's cool again. <laughs> eh, I don't know. You don't think like, so? Compared to like ice hockey, like. Fine. It's it's kind of like oh hockey light like uh, it's, it's so still funny to me though I mean on concrete you're in the call I was joking actually it's funny you said it's like literally uh, sound guy from Clever TV if anybody yeah, knows yeah, sound, sound guy. guy but um Mike was like saying that he uh, that he's playing roller hockey that yeah. he's in like roller hockey league and I, and, <laughs> and I was like oh re- oh do you guys play in cul de sacs is that like do you have to get all the way cars, cars periodically. Yeah. I don't know, it's just a funny, it is funny. There was a professional roller hockey league, at least on the West Coast, in like 94, 96. Is that like arena football? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Sounds brutal, dude. Sounds like <laughs> Except nasty. it wasn't nearly as brutal as arena football. Arena football was nasty, right? Oof. That was like the whole thing. You could get fucked up and get checked on the walls and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, thank Weird. you. Weird. All right, uh, what's the last gorgeous thing you saw? Hmm. I mean, it's probably food related at this point. Um... Did you say food related? Food related, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, that's totally appropriate to me. I mean, those empanadas we had were were gorgeous. Those are very good. 
That chicken parm we had. Justa, uh, if anybody's listening, in yeah, Venice, yeah. California. G-J-U-S-T-A. Del- it's really good. They, they Actually, their whole place is gorgeous. I yeah, mean, yeah. G-Sta. Actually, that entire space was. I love that place. Um, and that's something, too, that, like, I've lately really fallen in love with, like, architecture. And, oh, really? like, can really appreciate that in, like, open space design and, like... All everyone's like newfound love of like mid-century modern architecture, especially in like the desert. I'm just like, oh, this is so beautiful and like so incredibly out of reach. Wait, what's like mid-century modern? What does that mean? What's so, uh, how can <laughs> I know that's tough? But like, is there a building I could think of or like a? a... Sure, um, like some of this furniture in here oh, is okay. like. Okay, is it kind of like that, like Mad Men kind of? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that <laughs> like that '60s house in the hills kind of. Yes, exactly. Like some of the more famous houses is that it like you've sunken seen. living rooms and shit. Sometimes yes, sometimes not right. not necessarily. Like yeah, uh, I also sort of love like Googie ar- ar- Googie style like architecture. Oh, yeah, okay, um, that's what I've been sort of geeking out on lately. Cool. And then, obviously, just all the amazing art that we sort of see, like, as far as, like, what we do for a living, like, just pictures and motion picture and, like, yeah. you know, there's just so many amazing things. There. I wish I had a better answer. I could be, no, like... No, that, that is a really good answer. I yeah. feel like just, just that there's, like, this litany of, like, casual, constant things that are... Like, no, we're gorgeous. so spoiled by, like... That's so true, man. You know, I I, uh, I saw an article on on Curbed about the uh, L.A. Scot- the former L.A. Scottish Rite Temple. Uh-huh. Do you know that one on Wilshire? Uh, yeah, I've driven past it a million times. Yeah, it's it's oh, is that is that Mormon? No, 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 no. It, wait, is that that's the one that's like, like, like a, it's it, like the Masons? Is it by Westwoodish or, uh, or not? Like like no, you're thinking of the Mormon one. That is the Mormon one. Yeah, well, that's yeah. a gorgeous building too. For it the is. Record. Mormons, Mormons do make, make some good buildings. Temples. No, I don't know. The, wait, where's the Scottish Temple? So the the Scottish Rite Temple, or the, what is now the former one, is now a museum. Oh. Is uh, I want to say it's like Wilshire and shit i use it as one of my cross ways to get um it's like near koreatown i okay. use it to try and get to your place sometimes um i've definitely driven you've definitely a million times it's a super impressive building but like obviously inside it has a whole bunch of like funky like uh masonic sort of like they have like cool. an auditorium of 1500 people and dining rooms and club rooms and all sorts of cool Weird. shit and now it's a museum. I guess the guys who own Guest Jeans bought it and like hmm. kept some of the original stuff in there. And it's just so like ornate and specific. And you're just like, oh, like as weird as these people are, like they their attention to detail and their specific style is just like admirable. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna look that up. I'm gonna figure that one out. Is it? It's not by the Car Museum, is it? Like, I don't think it's. Know? I don't think it's that far down. No. Yeah. All right, cool. That's a good one. I can keep um, going. Anyways. All right. Uh, oh, and then uh, do you think farts are funny? Yeah, obviously. Okay, good. I always ask that at the end. <laughs> uh, self-care. You got a current favorite method of self-care, a recent favorite self-care method to share with everybody? Um, You know, I, I encourage everybody to get a pedicure every now and then. Hell yeah, I agree. I do that shit. Yeah, that's usually one of the first things Christine and I do when we go on vacation, just to be like, hey, you're officially on vacation. Oh, that's um, nice. And yeah, because, you know, everything's kind of utilitarian in most of my life. And it's just like, it's kind of one of those luxuries that I'm just like, I didn't have anybody touch my feet until I was 30, maybe, mm, question wow. mark. And then like all of a sudden I was like, oh, now I get it. Now That's I get cool. it. Yeah. It's very vulnerable. It is. Feet are very sensitive. Yeah. And like, you know, since I've gotten like, since Chuck Liddell made it okay to like paint your toenails way back in the day. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't mind You're doing not- that shit either. Wait. I don't want to unpack this like crazy, but yeah, yeah. like you, 
uh, is that? Did you have a thing you didn't like people touching your feet till you were thirty? No, not at all. I just like it was on purpose. You were like, I don't like people touching my feet. No, 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 not at all. It was just like I think. Oh, I was, you're saying you didn't have that? No, I did oh, not. Got have it, got that. it, got no, it. No, I, I could give a shit. Like I, I. <laughs> it just wasn't a thing that happened. It just wasn't part of your. Yeah, like either I was cheap or didn't know like why you would ever have somebody do that for you. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I, I think it, it was I just like very... my crazy hippie parents who were just like, they weren't very good with money. So like, mm. like I don't think they would be like, why would you spend money on that? This sounds so weird. Uh, but but I, th- I thought it was so lovely when I was a kid, like a little kid, my grandma would sometimes like, uh, we'd, we'd stay with them in the summer yeah. and sometimes would like lotion our feet, like, like rub yeah. our feet before bed. And it was just the nicest goddamn thing. I was like a little kid. Same thing. I love my mom would tickle my back when she would like yeah. sing me lullabies when I was a little, little kid. Yeah. Uh, and it's still, it's just so wonderful. having somebody like touch your feet. I don't know. There's something very loving about no, it. No, I mean, any of that like massage stuff and like, yeah. you know, all that stuff i'm just kind of like it's just really nice all right and in final uh actual conclusion the the, uh, the irony <laughs> of six quick cues is that six of them are cues and then there's other cues too and it's kind of all stacked around but this is my i feel like there section. was like 10 cues in that six <laughs> yeah pretty much um you know time is like ugh, a loose concept whatever sure um I have this, I don't kill yourself. I'm uh, sorry. I, I have this uh, don't kill yourself list I created. <laughs> Blip, okay. I don't kill myself. It's called the don't kill yourself list, uh, which I started a long time ago when I felt really bad and my brain wanted to kill me. And it was just things that are accessible mm-hmm. and uh, that, you know, most people like, can, can kind of just find usually material, something easy that are just to remind yourself. Uh, but sometimes they're just concepts, but, you know don't kill yourself and uh and the first list when i started uh and so anytime i do the exercise for myself now it always starts with the same three coffee sandwiches and lavender soap Mm. so i would like you to add something to the don't kill yourself list so uh sorry what were you mine were coffee sandwiches lavender soap that's how i started it i was like these are just wonderful beautiful undeniable parts of reality that are so fucking good and if you kill yourself you don't get to do those anymore so uh it just became an exercise for me of like presence and things that are good about living and reality and so i'm just asking you to please add something to the list for everybody uh if i only had to pick one i would be like pets you know oh pet yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, I could go on about like beaches and like physical contact and this and like all sorts of stuff that I sort of really cherish. Yeah, in my those life. are great. Um, but, you know, uh, Christine and I recently had to put one of our cats down after 12 and a half years. Sorry. And uh, thank you. And it was it was probably one of the more tougher things I'd had to like yeah. do, um, you know, just like being there and like watching it happen. Um you know, and uh, but I think it's super important to sort of like acknowledge phases of your life where it's just like, you know, if I'm lucky enough, I'm going to outlive most of my pets, I hope. Um, but it's also really good to sort of have that experience of like seeing newness, seeing like discovery, like, you know, since we don't have kids, it's like the closest thing that like it's the closest proxy that we have. And, um, you know, I think that journey is just kind of fun and exciting and um, not to deprive yourself of that. And like, you know, you've seen that with like Bodhi where he was just like mm-hmm. this this animatronic little creature. And now he's a fucking wolf <laughs> and a real dipshit. It's really funny. Yeah. yeah. And just but I mean, are you not richer for that experience? I am. I am. And I mean, I don't think I have as intimate. I, I, I'm I think I'm much more dog uncle than dog dad. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I which 
I don't know. I think about, I mean, that's a bigger thing for another day, okay. but, um, <laughs> but I do love that stupid fucking dog and he yeah. makes me really crazy and I'm like, I hate him. And then he'll just, but his tongue is so cute and funny. That yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I get I it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. All right, thanks, dude. This is dope. Uh, do you want to tell anybody where to find you if anyone else find you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Find me two places. Find me on Instagram. Zeke Thomas is rad. Z e k e t h o m a s is rad. And then uh, I have a website to zekethomas.com. Dope, dude. Yeah. Thanks, brother. That was awesome. Thanks, man. You know I love you. You know I love you too, man. We're gonna do this again. Look at this. All right. Thanks for listening to my good bad brain. Bye, y'all. Be be well. You know, don't don't die and love yourself and people around you. Okay. <laughs> Later. Thank you all for listening again this week. Uh, check out uh, Patreon.com/slash My Good Bad Brain if you dig this, or uh, leave us reviews. Those are also very very helpful. Those five star reviews really help uh, the ratings and get us seen and get more people in this little community. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, keeping it going. Keeping it going. Be well. Hydrate. Take care of yourself. Okay, bye.